With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everyone. This is Colin Derrick. I'm acting on behalf of Enforce Sonia Patterson on this call tonight. Uh, she is still unable to get to a phone and internet access. And from what I understand, it is also her birthday. So I once again put out a call for people to make uh, contact. I believe if you have her email, she can use that for her PayPal. Um, and so we can get her a phone. My idea was to get her a Samsung um, uh, 4 because it's just the whole computer in a nutshell. And I found them on eBay for anywhere from 50 to to $100. I think a good one would be $100, $110. And that'll give her internet access no matter where she goes, so she'll be able to do pretty much everything she needs to do with that. So anyone feels compelled, you know, and we know that even if it's five dollars, it adds up. Um, so that's the opening. Uh, I was just talking to California. Is that California Bob you go by? Yeah. Okay. He goes by California Bob, and he just raised a very good issue which I think we need to get recorded because I think it's a worthwhile discussion. Would you start again, Bob? Thank you. Yeah, I was just uh, referring to this uh, recording that a guy did in a in a, in a, a courthouse, so-called courthouse, in a, in a geographical area called Utah. And this woman who plays judge, this was a recording a guy made, and uh, she made it crystal clear to this guy that in the state of Utah, there are no, because he was bringing up a common law defense, and she said, let me make it crystal clear to you. There is no common law within the state of Utah. It's statutory. This is a statutory court, and we abide by the codes and statutes, uh, state and, and federal statutes. And she said there are no common law uh, crimes, there are no common law defenses, and there are no common law remedies. She made that crystal clear. So the thing is, what does that say to all of the people that live in that geographical area called the state of Utah? Now, what are they supposed to do with common law, uh, with all the studying that we're doing on common law? If you live in the, now that's, that's one that I've heard. How many other states make that same claim? I don't, I don't know. This, this just happened to be Utah. But that's, it's, well, out, it's outrageous, you know. I mean, well, on the one hand, it, it may appear to be outrageous, but if I was to listen to my mentor, he says that common law was put into the form of statutes, even though people don't want to uh, ex you know, accept that until they actually... I didn't accept it either. I thought, oh, you're crazy. It has nothing to do with common law statutes or statutes, and they can change them anytime they want, and their privileges, and all that good stuff that you know, I spent three years, wasted three years of my life believing instead of actually reading the law itself. Um, so when you look at it exactly as it's written, you see the common law. And in fact, you actually see in case law, which I've read many times, where they, the courts actually discuss common law. For instance, I know in the recent um, case that went to the Supreme Court, the Zelensky case, 
which is a foreclosure case. And the bankers were trying to say something. I don't remember exactly what it was. I have to review it. But they were saying something, and the court said to them, um, you guys are mistaking the restrictions or the limited applicability of common law. So they're telling them that they were making a mistake, that they were trying to limit the powers of TILA, Truth and Lending Act, which is a congressional act, uh, and regulate that down to or minimize it down to common law uh, action, which the court said that's not what this is about. This is about TILA, which is Truth and Lending Act, which is an act of Congress, and it extended, it actually said that, extended the common law uh, claim or the common law activity to include this, 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 and this. So, and I've actually, the more statutes and codes here, when I say codes, I'm not talking about your local codes, which are copywritten private bullshit, which most of these courts are enforcing. I'm talking about USC code, United States code, which is properly enacted law. And when you look at them, for instance, how many people can have memorized or could possibly write a better um, law than the following, which I'm about to quote to you because I've memorized it. If two or more persons, and they do mean persons as in uh, one of the actors, one of the agents of the government, they're very clear on that, person is defined, it's not a, not a man or woman, it's a person. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any inhabitant in that that doesn't this is, clearly they're not talking about citizen, United States citizen, or anything else, but it used to say person and they changed it inhabitant. Any inhabitant in any state, territory, commonwealth, or district that includes the District of Columbia. In the free la 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 exercise or the enjoyment, oh boy, happy, 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 of any right or privilege secured to them by the Constitution or laws of the United States shall be fined or imprisoned for 10 years, not more than 10 years, or both. Now, find me in common law where you can find that extent, that amount of protection, that not only your rights, but your privileges are in fact, you have the right to exercise them freely and to enjoy them as well. Which goes back, actually, when you go look at the unanimous Declaration of Independence where I mentioned that it says um, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive, these ends, it's the right of the people to alter, abolish, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect, which means to cause their safety and happiness. Now, how, how, where do you find that in common law where any agent or officer or any government entity, part of its purpose and job, its powers, are actually originally organized in order to make you safe and happy. So not only do you have an unalienable right to pursue happiness, but the government's created not only to secure your rights, but for your safety and happiness. Well, the reason everybody goes along with this is because it does look good in, on paper in writing. Do people actually actually practice 
what you just read. You just mm-hmm. read the sound sparkling. And you know what? My first impulse is sign me up. Great. That mm-hmm. sounds great. But what happens when we put it in into practice? Now you, you well, said this is people- what's interesting. This is what's so interesting about my search is that um and I'm gonna share some really good news in a minute too. Um surprisingly good news for me. Um it took me a long time to learn process and procedures because that's all attorneys, and we need to have a long discussion about that. I read this great article today about attorneys don't have a license, that they only have a bar card, which is a membership to a private organization and so on and so forth. So there is a corruption, there is a corruption ring that is corrupting the law the way it was intended. The problem, which I've been kind of pinpointing from the beginning, at least on this show, is the problem the way I see it People are not exercising uh, or not bearing the arms, as I call it, of the pen. They're not bearing those arms substantially enough to cause a system to be constantly self-regulating itself as a result of the people taking action. However, there are many people, when I started out about uh, eight years ago and then finally after three years I decided to do my own show because I wanted it to be more peaceful than, than these gurus that were attacking people and calling people idiots and stupid and dumb. They didn't know what they were doing. It just being really abusive. And I wanted to do that, so I started interviewing people. And I noticed a pattern. I noticed that the people who could prove and show and had won cases consistently all were arrogant assholes, number one, but they all had one thing in common. They won their cases, and they all used law. And that's when I decided, you know, maybe I'll just read some of this stuff for myself. And the more I read, the more I started seeing that there was stuff there. So my mentor, for instance, he has never had a case of his own. And I think that gives him a tremendous advantage. He just started studying on his own because he asked questions. And by asking those questions, and he began to get answers in law. And he started studying more and more and listening to other people who had won cases. He has never lost a case. He's, every case he's ever brought has been settled out of court. The last one was for $36 million for somebody else because they stole his property under a tax sale, which he had no business doing. And he's won, I think it was one like for a million five before that. Um, uh, he did another one, I think it was like for, for like eight or six million dollars, something like that. But this one was because they killed his two dogs and destroyed his property and so on. And he actually thinks he could have held up for a lot more. Now, I've actually, after I paid attention and I started looking at what was going on and realizing that they live in a statute world and not a world of fairness, or at least I wasn't expressing it properly, because if you remember on the last show, I I basically testified and I continue to testify that the building that I purchased was for like astronomically more than what it was worth. And I was a captive audience. And she did create a sense of urgency. All of these things are actually mentioned in the statutes, which makes the the deal void. But the courts refused to listen to any of what was fair and, and, and right and due and proper. But instead, managed to find, and I look at it as my saving grace or that blessing that came along, that the corporation was suspended, which allowed me to then to go into the statutes OS-1212C which says that no court can grant any suspended corporation either to bring an action or to defend an action except an action, uh, it may defend an action against the dissolving of the corporation. Now, anybody who has ears, let them hear 
What that means is that every corporation, because it has a charter and is a person, a fiction of law, it can be, you one can make a case to have it dissolved. So that means all of these entities, including the bar, okay, all of them are corporations. That's why Hale versus Hinkle is so powerful because it tells you that if you can show that they're violating their corporate charter, which is essentially their conscience, that which allowed them to come into uh, existence in the first place, or the Constitution, or the statutes, or the laws, all those things that they are subject to, then you can actually have them dissolved, completely abandoned, so they don't exist anymore. So Let me, on, the one, I, on the one... Go ahead. Well, I want, I want to ask you something. I, I'm anxious to hear the good news, first of all. But before, <laughs> we get, before we get to that, can we go back to what we started on? And, and let yeah. me get some clarification. Now, I've heard exactly what you've heard, that the statutes, that the common law has been, um, is written down in statutes. Is that they it? They call it codified, yeah. Codified. Co- codified. Okay. Codified so the, codified. the common law, so, so when people say, well, we don't use the common law, we use statutes and codes. Well, mm-hmm. th- in other words, the common law has been codified. So now think of the codes and statutes as the common law. Mm-hmm. But let me, this, there's something that I, I find a problem with that. Look, the common law is is fairness, rightness, it's morality, it's being just mm-hmm. and fair and equal with your fellow man, uh, do unto others as they do unto you, don't harm, don't harm them, don't commit fraud, mm-hmm. right? This is the common law. If mm-hmm. the common law was codified, that's what it would look like. But the, mm-hmm. but the codified law says you can't spit on the sidewalk, you can't loiter, you have to do this, you can't talk back to a couple. Oh, 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 to me, that's, stop, to stop, me, stop, that's stop, not stop, common stop, stop, stop. law. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh-huh. Okay, I see where the misunderstanding comes in. Uh-huh. And this is a huge, huge, huge misunderstanding. Those statutes or codes, whatever you want to call them, actually, what people fail to do is read them. At the beginning of every single one of those statutes, it uses a very important term. It's called person. And I'll give you an example. Like, I was very worried that I was recording calls from Florida because Florida is what's called a two-party state. And I read all these, like, 15 websites from attorneys and everybody else, and they all said, oh, you have to have the approval of all the people on the telephone before you can record the call. And I was getting scared. And then, fortunately, one of the sites actually had the actual statute itself. So guess what I did? I went to the statute, and I read it. And guess what I found? It starts off at the very beginning, any person who. Yeah. I was like, okay, so then I looked immediately, is there a definition for person? Well, sure enough, five or ten lines down under definition section is the definition for person. And when you read the definition, it becomes very clear that they're talking about any agent of the government or corporation, which makes perfect sense. Again, you have to understand that most of the statutes are out there to give a conscience to a thing that has no conscience. Common law is because every man, is, is, in fact, there's a freedom of, of consciousness statute down here in St. Mary's, right next to where the, um, the um, uh, what is the name of the ship that, that sailed in here, one of the first settlements. And it's a consciousness statute, a freedom of consciousness. We have a conscience. We're endowed with one. These corporations, these businesses have no conscience. Yeah. Okay? They don't have one. So how do you give it a conscience? Well, you regulate the crap out of it. So you make it so that they can't do all of the things that our conscious automatically tells us. 
hey, uh-huh. it would be impolite for me to spit on the sidewalk. Uh-huh. Now, yeah. you know, is that a law against the people? No, no I could still spit on the sidewalk. Uh-huh. But could somebody object to it? If I spit on somebody's shoe, would I would I be harming them? Uh-huh. Would I be insulting them? Could they make a claim? Uh-huh. You know, so it, it gets kind of hairy there. To, you know, how far do you want to go? Yeah. But does that mean that a public servant has to set an example because he is not allowed to spit on the sidewalk? Absolutely. And isn't that the way it should be? And in fact, if you go through and look in the YouTube, you can find where I think it was a 14-year-old or a 12-year-old kid basically gave a ticket to a cop for parking in front of a place where he wasn't supposed to park to do his own personal stuff. Mm-hmm. And another man gave a ticket to, to an officer who went into, I think it was a, um, a cleaning, you know, to where he got to pick up his clothes. Yeah. And he was, that he was using his official car and, and, they, and that ticket stuck. So, so the, the statutes are there to regulate their behavior. Exactly. Because Not they have no, anyone who doesn't have a conscience. Anyone that doesn't have exactly. morals. Exactly. And that goes right back. In other words, a person. Exactly. And that's why we have persons, but we can never be a person. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects. So clearly people have persons. We can never be persons. And that's why this, this thing, which I'm going to share with you in a couple minutes, um, I think it's fantastic because it, it has an awful lot more than what I even thought I put in there. Yeah, that, I, I, that, I, I think people really do misunderstand. I think a lot of people think they get it with the man and woman and the person and the and the actor and the persona. I don't no, know if people not, really get it. You know, I yeah, think people we're not think talk, it's it. taken me years to get it. It wasn't until yeah. I read the fourth again or fifth rather for the Auntie Dunk time. And and I read it, and all of a sudden I saw the S there I never saw before. And I've quoted it. The right of the people to be secure in the person, houses, papers, and effects shall not be a burden. You know, how many times have I repeated it? But I never did the persons. I never saw the S before. And all of a sudden I'm looking at it going, wait a minute, persons? I'm only one man. How can I be, wait a minute, what? Well, you can, you can play many different roles. Customer, consumer, occupant, resident, driver, passenger. These are all different personas. Between the time you wake up in the morning and kind of go to bed at night, people usually play about 20 different persons. Exactly. And and most of them are private. Some of it's, them might be public. Some of them are public, yeah. Yes, and those are regulated by statutes, codes, and laws. Right, and especially those their job person. title. Especially exactly. their job and they, title. That's, uh-huh. And in fact, I learned this amazingly enough. It kind of was driven home when I started studying 46.2, the Motor Vehicle Code in Virginia, and I noticed that three completely separate sections having to do with the transporting first of passengers below numbers of five people, and then another section in that same subsection of more than five or 15 people. And then there was another section about transporting of um, like a mover moves uh, home, home, you know, people's stuff. Um, So the movers, they have a different type but it, but it said persons. It said persons, right? Well, here's what's interesting. Is each and every different section for the different activities had a slightly different definition of person. So clearly it's showing that, they're very, that what they're doing is they're being extremely precise in making sure that the only ones that are included in that definition of persons, the only one that this is 
uh, applicable to are those that are defined as the definition of person. Right, right. Now, an easy way to do this, what I did when I was in Oklahoma to try and get, because I couldn't get my head wrapped around it. I literally could not, wait a minute, I'm a person. Of course I'm a person. I'm a, I'm a taxpayer. Of course I'm a taxpayer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an owner. Of course I'm an owner. I'm the owner of that property. You bet your you've ass been, I'm the owner You've been told that all your life. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been saying it all my life. And in my mind, I believe it. And when I talk to people, I ask them, I said, are you a taxpayer? They go, yes. I said, no, 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 no. I did not ask you if you pay taxes. That's what you heard me say. Because we're automatically on the defense. Oh, yeah, I pay my taxes. Instead, I asked you, are you a jackass? Well, Exactly. Uh, you know, no, I don't have big floppy ears and a tail. But if I was to ask you... Why are you being a jackass? You say, oh, am I? Because you and I both know in the man's world that jackass means you're being a bit of a dick or however you want to, you, you know, obviously you're not a dick even though you may have one. It's the same thing, an asshole. You can be an asshole even though you may have one, but you can't be one, you know. <laughs> and, and once you start getting that and realize, oh, okay, it has a definition. There's a specific definition for each application. Uh-huh. And I wish, I wish, I really wish that I knew of another area in the, um, I can't think of anything in mechanics. I mean, a screwdriver is a screwdriver, but we always tease each other and go, would you hand me the left-handed screwdriver? Uh-huh. You know, uh, yeah. so that doesn't, I'm trying to think, I can't think of a tool or something that you would use where it would have different definitions. Um, can you think of anything? Football. What? Football? Oh, okay, football. There's a good example. Football to most Europeans means what? Soccer to us. Yeah. But football in the U.S. means what? That, that goofy-looking uh-huh. pigskin thing that they, they pass downfield uh-huh. and run for touchdowns instead of kicking it through the, the post. Well, they, they do that for extra points, so I don't know. And then they got face masks and all sorts of rules and regulations abounding on that. You know, I think, you know, finally when you get your head wrapped around what a person... Now, here's what I did in, in Oklahoma. I Every time that I was going to read something out of the code or anything else, or the, or the statute that was there on taxing, on taxing, every time they used person, I took the word person out and I put the following, because I've memorized it. Fiduciary, trust, limited liability company, corporation, partnership and shall include any municipal subdivision of the state. Now, that's an interesting thing, and I looked at that later on. I went, aha, so just because you're a trust does not mean necessarily you're a person. It only includes it. Just because you're a trust, just because you're a fiduciary, just because you're a partnership, just because you're uh, a corporation does not necessarily mean you're a taxpayer, by the way. But every municipal, any municipal subdivision of the state is a taxpayer. Isn't that interesting? And none of them are paying their taxes, by the way. <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah, that's that's fun. That's a recent discovery that we looked up their EIN number, which is the employee identification number, and then you go to the IRS website and it doesn't show, it doesn't match. They're not paying their taxes. And well, all any, the municipal subdivisions of the state are taxpayers in the well, regards to Any taxes. man or woman that identifies himself as a limited liability corporation I think has a problem. And I think yep. that's exactly what we're doing. I mean, that's exactly what people are doing. Yeah, the way, well, I mean, and this is this is where I think we're, you know, I'm finally coming around to the 42-1983s and why it's going to be real powerful once, why I'm studying so diligently on it is because I want to make sure I don't get caught up in process and procedures because that's extremely important. 
once you get past the process of producing, and that's what I've looked at it with my mentor and the other people who are winning, the first thing that they have completely down and understood is process and procedures. They get it. They see how it works. They understand it. It's nuts and bolts to them. Um, and, and, and they see why it's important. And I begin to see more and more with the evidence why it's important as well. I'm looking at due process of law. For instance, um, instead of arguing uh, or bringing forth, as my mentor has, the whole issue about taxation, who it's for, what it's for, the right to own property, alloyal, um, you know, everything, all that wonderful stuff, I was going to just sort of go for the meat. And it goes something like this. There's no evidence on the record, and I can show case law, that if you do not, if there is nothing on the land records that shows that there was any right Tyler interest granted by the grantor to somebody else, the grantee, and it is recorded. If it's not recorded, the transfer and entitlement is not complete. So, again, I could go to the land records and I say there is no evidence on any record anywhere, particularly not the land record, that indicates that any right Tyler interest was ever transferred to the state or a representative or an agent of the state. And there is a maxim of law that says you cannot sell that which you do not own. So without arguing taxes, without arguing property rights or anything else, it's a very simple maxim of law. You cannot sell that which you do not own. There is no evidence that the state or its agent or any one of them have any right, title, or interest in the property that they allegedly sold. And that, to me, is the short, I mean, it's a one-page thing. And I see no reason for me to go into all the taxing and all the uh, uh, right to own property and all this other stuff when something is just, this is just point blank. This is due process of law. The, again, here's a restriction. The United States and the states are creations of man. What does the 14th say? No state shall deprive any person, and in this case when they say person, they're not talking about just a person, they're talking about anyone. Okay, so you have the right to be securing your person, okay, of life, liberty, or property with that due process of law. Now, there's also uh, many other articles that say the same thing, okay, very almost word for word. It's said, I believe, three times I've discovered it in the Constitution itself to which they are subject to. So that's prohibition. No state shall, okay, so it's saying it's something that they cannot do, deprive anyone of, of property without due process of law. Where is the due process of law? The only thing in front of that judge, in this case, in, in, in my property, 33 acres up in western Maryland, um, was actually, ironically enough, in this case, there's no excuse for the judge because I didn't have to put anything on the record. They filed with their filing to lay claim to my property. They filed an abstract of title, which is, for those who don't know what that is, it means it's just basically the last five or six um, transfers of property, own, owner, ownership um, uh, to somebody who owns the property, not as the owner, which is a tax title, um, but somebody who owns the property under the proper name, and I'm there. I'm the last one. There's nothing on the record in that abstract of title or anything else, anywhere on the land records, anywhere else in any other record that was filed in the court case that shows that there was any transfer of any right title or interest in my property, and no liens placed upon it either. So how is it possible then that the judge can grant 
this fictitious title, the sale of this fictitious title, called it a tax title or tax deed, to somebody else in the public and not know that that's a, they're selling a counterfeit instrument. So to me, this is about as you know, simple as you get without ever arguing the tax issue or the right to own property issue. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Are, are we? Are, is this part of the good news that you have? Is it? Is it? Is this? Uh, are you, are yet, you laying the foundation it. for the good news? Is this? Yeah. A, ki- yeah. Kind of. Actually. Yeah. All right. I, I'll share it with you. I, I see you're chomping at the bit here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to get involved at all in the uh, right to travel versus driving stuff, only yeah. because. I've been fighting foreclosures and tax sales, and to me, that is takes a precedent. Yeah. And I don't really give a crap if I got to spend fifteen dollars, you know, once every five years to get this piece of plastic, and it makes them happy. And I found a real easy solution. I've got many of them. I'll look at any time they stop me as an opportunity to educate them. But one time I was not in the mood, and I handed them, and I said, "This is for you." It just came out of nowhere, and he goes, "What?" I said, "This is for you," and I handed it to him, and he came back. He was all miffed. And uh, and then I, you know, did my little routine about, you know, does he own property and so on. He left. Um, so I realized that there was something real powerful that when you say this is for you, it takes away my whole liability apparently. <laughs> so um, anyway, I didn't want to get involved in it. But then uh, my girlfriend Luella got a ticket, a speeding ticket, and called me on it. So I said, out, I said, okay, fine. I'm going to find out for myself as well as Vince from Florida and Canada. He was going from Florida to California. I mean, it was from Canada back and forth. And we're looking stuff. In fact, it's on the show. Um, one of the first shows where he came on and he found that the laws, the motor vehicle laws or codes, whatever you want to call them, in most states are actually created in Canada. And the U.S. has adopted them. And it's actually under federal. And he found all the stuff. You ought to listen to that show. It's a great show. He oh, found all the great stuff. Yeah. And they all come under basically the same thing. And it has to do with Interstate commerce. That's what it's all about. But every state tries to disguise it and then make money off of it. So they created their own code type of thing. Well, I went and studied the code because my mentor always says, well, the first thing you do is go study the code and see how they're misinterpreting it because you know it can't be true. So that's what's important is once you know that what they're doing cannot be lawful, then you have to go look at the law and see how they're misapplying it, which yeah. makes it a color of law activity, which is unlawful, now you have uh, a way of suing them, which you would, which you may or may not have in common law. There's many ways you can sue them under statute and codes and stuff that you couldn't do under common law, okay? Okay. Um, so uh, you can actually come in, as I do all the time, as one of the people, okay? So I have that power behind me all the time. Yes, I have interest in this because I'm one of the people. And if you deprive him of his rights, then what's stopping you from depriving me of my rights? So I always have that behind me. I always have that ability. In common law, you generally have to be injured by somebody. It's you and that man. It's that man, you know, you and them. That's it. And here we have a different situation, which is, you know, we have to have protection. So in this case, I went ahead and started reading and studying 42, what, 46.2 Motor Vehicle Code of Virginia. And it's like, I don't know, like, four or five hundred pages long, but it's really actually not that hard to read because it's like short sentences. Right. And so what I did is what I normally do is I take and I copy the whole thing from their PDF, from their website with a link onto Word document. I then use Word, actually I use Word Perfect because I can get many, many more colors. 
Yeah. And I start coloring things. And the first thing I went to is I said, all right, take your own advice. So I went through and I found every single time, and I actually named it, it was like, you know, 164 times the term person is used. Yeah. And I started noticing a pattern that every time there was person, right after it, it the word transportation came or transporting or business or activity or for compensation. They always were linked together. Person yeah. was never without the other. So a motor vehicle was the same thing, motor vehicle. And then it was, um, they had carriers and they had owners and they had business owner and person had, uh, and then the, the third time I went through it, I started note, oh, I see now it's broken down into three sections. One is the transporting of people, um, which is actually, they call them passengers. Okay. In this case, that's why passenger is a regulated term. So they say, how many passengers do you have in your car? You go, oh, I got three. No, you don't have any passenger car. You have friends in your car. Yeah. You don't have any passengers because passengers, again, is a business term that you, they're paying passengers. Right. And all you have to do is turn around and say, is anyone paying me? No. Okay, then I don't have any, tra- I don't have any passengers. And it kind of negates that real fast. Yeah. So as I went through, I started recognizing that, oh, wait a minute, they even define person three different ways depending upon what activity they're doing. And they used um, operator. And uh, they, you know, and, and you saw, again, operator had to do only in that section where they were talking about a business that operates um, vehicles for transporting of passengers. So it didn't have to do necessarily. Now, if you were an owner of a taxi cab business, then you could be an operator. But the taxi cab driver is not an operator, interesting enough. However, somebody who is driving a bus that has 15 or more passengers, he is labeled an operator. Isn't that interesting? So you begin to see more and more when you actually get to the definitions. And here's the easy thing to do. Back up for a minute and pretend that you're in charge here and you need to regulate all these entities. And you need to regulate them precisely. How would you do it? And that's when you begin to go, wow, some of this stuff actually does make sense if people would read it and understood the difference between people and person, between operator and person, that each and every one of them is a precise, almost a mathematical formula. It only applies to this. Like if, you, if you've ever done calculus, you know you have that sign, that big funny, looks like a big giant F with a curly Q. It's a, sign, it's a function sign, right? Okay. Function of. Something is a function of. Yeah. And... It, it, it's this, or like you put something in brackets kind of thing, you know, when you're doing a mathematical formula. It's kind of like that. That, you know, it, everyone knows that zero times zero equals zero. Zero times a million equals zero. That's why I always ask people, say, well, wait a minute. Do, the, do you have the power to tax my property? No. Well, does he have the, pro- the power to tax my property? No. So if he doesn't have the power, I don't have the power, nobody else has the power, where did the government get his power from? Because zero times a million, even if you had a million people or a billion people, right. none of them have the power. So right. there, you know instinctually the government could not have the power since it uh-huh. derives its power from the people. Right. So once you start recognizing the common law ideas and concepts, the more I learn about common law, the more the statute stuff make more sense, ironically enough. So I start reading, oh, this is precise. Oh, this means exactly what it says and nothing else. Oh, this. And guess what I write in a lot of my stuff and I see in case law? I write in there many times, the statute is clear and unambiguous, which means it's very clear. There's no need for interpretation. The court cannot interpret this. That's what I'm saying. 
And I can stand on that and go, you can't interpret this. And then i got case law to say, hey, judge, you try to misinterpret this, and I'm going to get appealed and overturned. And then if I have to, I'll go all the way to the Supreme Court on it because I know I can stand on it because that's what's written, and it's clear and unambiguous. The problem is now once you understand what's clear and unambiguous, you begin to see how they have altered it, changed it, misrepresented it. That's the crimes that's going on. Nothing wrong with the laws themselves, the way they're written. It's those that misuse them don't even read the statutes, codes, and laws themselves. They only rely on process and procedures and scaring the crap out of people. So I had read um, 46.2 over and over and over again, studied it, and I began to write. Um, I didn't know what else to do, so I went ahead and wrote a motion. And I will read some of it to you. And the motion I designed, I wanted to see if I could put something together that would do like five or six things all at the same time. One, which to show that they had no jurisdiction from the beginning A to Z, number one. Number two, I wanted to reveal exactly what it was that they were actually doing in law, statute law, knowing statute and codes and stuff that I do. Knowing 18 U.S.C. 241, 242, 471 through 474. Knowing now a little bit about 18 U.S.C. Um, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, 42, point, uh, 42 U.S.C. Uh, 1983 is a little bit because I've been reading this book on jurisdiction and knowing some other ones which I need to learn. But having a little bit and a little bit of understanding of color of law, malicious prosecution, um, uh, con- contrivances, and so on, and and having some of those having read case law on it, I am now looking to reveal through these statements or questions, which I actually had her use in court as questions. So I I was trying to create a a, a grid or something that if worse comes to worse, you could always just refer to this statement and turn it into a question. So you could read it. For instance, the first line number one, statement of facts. On or about 1.16 a.m., June 22, 2015, Officer Crone arrested the, quote, dot, 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 vehicular travel, dot, 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 end quote, of the woman given the proper name, and I have her proper name, upper and lower case. Now, what I would, what you do is you simply take that as a statement. Is it true that on or about one? Blah, 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 blah. You see? So now you've got a question that you can ask. So here is your, your script. And so I'm going to go through and read a couple of them. Uh, I'll read the opening, and you guys may or may not like it. Actually, the motion is this. Petitioners, appellants, or this one actually was, oh, let me see if I can read. Hold on one second. Let me go pull up the original one. If I can find it here. Let me see if I can find the one that's redacted. Yes, it did. Okay. Okay. This was the original motion for the circuit court after going to the district court and witnessing that ridiculousness. Comes now LT, one of the people, citizen of the United States, and and I said here, experiment to see if citizen of the United States has less protection. So I have that notice note in there for anyone who wants to use it. In this case, she's an immigrant. So this works in this case. And I wanted to see if it would make a difference or not. So this is part of an experiment. I'm always experimenting. Claiming all rights, claiming all rights, privileges, and the protections thereof, waiving none. 
requesting the assistance of this honorable court to protect my interests, rights, and immunities in accordance with the laws of this state, its constitution, and the constitution of the United States regarding this matter. LT, here and after responded, moves this court to dismiss the charges due to the following facts, affidavit, and evidence as set forth herein. That's just the opening, what I call creation of a contract with this corporate court. Statement of facts. On or about 1.16 a.m., June 22, 2005, Officer Crone arrested the, quote, vehicular travel, end quote, of the woman given the proper name, LT. Two, Officer Crone, and I actually put on here Officer Crony, <laughs> because his name is Officer Crone, but I put Crony. Officer Crony, and I actually could do that. This is, You can actually have fun. I'm going to start doing this. You know how they use the word, um, they use plaintiff. I have here respondent. Uh, here and after respondent, and they use the word debtor, um, petitioner, uh, mortgager, um, um, uh, and all those other terms, right? So I see no reason I can't say officer crone here and after crony. You could if you want. (laughs) No reason why not. I'm writing the document, right? So officer crony proceeded to interrogate respondent without giving Miranda Wright's warning as required by law. Now, after each one of these, I have a little bracket which has the number. It's a rep- it's a footnote. And the footnotes are really powerful, knowing that they don't read footnotes. Okay? So the first one I have, footnote number one. Okay? Well, let's go read footnote number one. And actually, I made these end notes instead of footnotes, which just simply means I put all of them at the end of the page. Number one says the following. C, State versus McIntyre, 92, Quote, a person is restrained or imprisoned when he is deprived of either liberty, of movement, or freedom to remain in the place of his lawful choice. And such restraint or imprisonment may be accomplished by physical force alone or by threat of force or by conduct reasonably implying that force will be used. And then it has four or five more cases after that. So what is this saying? That you were arrested That is the definition of being arrested, okay? If your freedom of movement or your uh, freedom to remain in the same place of your lawful choice is restrained or otherwise substantially, and I get another case on that, substantially um, restrained, you have been arrested. Number two, which is the second one I just read, about the Miranda. When the Miranda warning is required, It doesn't matter whether an interrogation occurs in jail, at the scene of a crime, on a busy downtown street, or the middle of an open field. If a person is in custody, in parentheses, deprived of his or her freedom of action in any significant way, there's the definition, the police must read the Miranda rights if they want to ask questions and use the answers as evidence at trial. Without a Miranda warning, what the attestee says in response to custodial questioning can't be used for most purposes as evidence at trial for more details, and then I give the website, okay? So what I'm basically doing here is I'm setting up that any evidence that he gets, anything that she says, and giving a driver's license, anything else that he gets, cannot be used in any court as evidence against her. So it's going to be kind of difficult for them to prosecute when they don't have any name there. Number three, at no time during the arrest did Officer Crony inquire or provide any reason for him to believe 
that an activity regulated under Virginia Motor Vehicle Code 46.2, here and after 46.2, was engaged in prior to or during the arrest for which, comma, number four, Officer Crony creating a charging instrument under 46.2-870, which he did. Now notice what I said, created a charging instrument. Number five, Officer Crony required respondent to sign such charging instrument in exchange for her release. Now, can you tell me what that statement just stated right there? It sounds like... Um, uh, it's the definition old, of... It's, defini it's the definition of kidnapping. Officer Crone, we've already established that he arrested her, took her into his, his custody, right? Failed to Mirandize her. Officer Crone required respondent to sign such charging instrument in exchange, those are the key words, in exchange for her release. And we actually, and most of these, she did get, some of these, enough of these, we got him to answer on the stand in the circuit court. So here we have evidence of, his, her, his, of him, him kidnapping her. That's the definition, if you look up kidnapping, is when you take something or somebody in exchange for something, and then you release it exact definition of it. That's a crime. Number five, Officer Coney uh, was, has since uttered and passed, 18 U.S.C. 471 uh, and 72, uttered and passed such charging instrument to this court for exchange and payment via one alleged person, all uppercase T, all uppercase L which is different from the proper name, which is LT. And then I have in parentheses, handwritten in the charging instrument as TL. Number seven. But, wait, wait. Can we go back to the uh, the kidnapping one for one second? Yeah, yeah. Now, it, it, it would be kidnapping uh, under common law to do that um, w against someone's will. However, if you read in the uh, code, I don't know if it says in, in the uh, Virginia code, but in the California code, book, it says that upon signing for this driver's license, you agree to be apprehended and arrested upon blah, 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 blah. If, mm -hmm. if, in, if in his mind, he's doing his job and he believes that she has to sign for it under contract, I don't think he's going to construe that as kidnapping because he believes that she ag agreed to this and gave her consent. You see what I'm saying? Oh, mind. I totally get that. But in, I, I see, and this mind. is the beauty about about statute law versus common law. In common law, I, I basically have to prove that he intended to do something, or prove that he was negligent somehow. And in statute, I don't need to do that. In statute, all I need to do is show that there is a policy of the state for its agents, its people, excuse me, its persons, excuse me, its persons, the state's persons to act in a certain way, completely oblivious to the fact that it is, in fact, unlawful under statute and law because it is, in fact, an exchange for something else. It's taking somebody by physical force and detaining them until such time as they sign it. Well, and you covered that in the previous one that said he never checked to see if she was doing this activity under contract, exactly. which would give him the right to do what he just did. Exactly, which is the whole thing about jurisdiction. He never had jurisdiction. He never verified, validated. And you'll see as I go on here. He never verified, validated, or even had any reason, probable cause, 
to believe she was engaged in an activity subject to the state. And that's why it's only an agent of the state. He cannot do anything against any anyone else because it's not a person. He cannot okay. arrest a man or woman. Okay. Unless you're disturbing the peace, recklessly endangering other people, then he has the power to um, to um, protect the people. Yes, but that's a totally that's a different suit that yeah. That's a different uh, hat that he's wearing. Okay. So let me continue here. Now you'll see how I beat this into the ground. Uh, so now he is—he's created this 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 instrument, this charging instrument. He has now uttered and passed it for collection. And notice how I'm, what I'm doing—I'm talking about the court here. He has now passed such charging instrument to this court for exchange and payment via one alleged person. Aha! Uh-huh. It was a woman that was stopped, and now they've created this person. Who, and trying to attach her to it. Number seven, the record is absent any affidavit, testimony, or other evidence substantiating that an activity of transportation of, quote, passengers or property for compensation on the highways, end quote, because that's right out of their, their code, subject to 46.2 was engaged prior to, engaged in prior to the, quote, traffic stop. And I have in parentheses, arrest, and then I have C number three. Let's go down and look at number three now. Number three. When interpreting a statute, the courts have to give full force and effect to every word thereof. See Foot versus Commonwealth. The court should not enlarge statutory definitions so as to include a situation which might be assumed the legislature would have covered by an enlarged definition if its existence would have been contemplated, end quote. So basically what it's saying is they can't apply the statute or code to anything except that which is exactly and precisely in it. And they cannot then sit there and say, well, the, the, the uh, legislature might have, and that's what they're saying, might have uh, contemplated this and therefore we're going to enforce it. And they're saying, no, they cannot do that. That's what that says. So now I've got them specifically nailed down that they can't interpret it any other way. The, the law says they can't. Um, let me continue. So I'm saying now the record is absent. Any affidavit, testimony, or other evidence substantiating the activity of transportation. Apparently, so now I'm giving a definition as I go through. First, I just said that she was subject to 46.2. Now I'm starting to actually use some of the actual wording in quotation. I'm not subject to it. I'm just using it. Yeah. Okay? 46.2 was engaged in prior to the traffic stop or arrest. Number three. Eight. Respondent has no knowledge of engaging in any activity of, quote, transporting of property or passengers for compensation on the highways, end quote, as defined in 46.2, before or during the day of the traffic stop, which arrested her, quote, free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured by the Constitution or laws of the United States, end quote. See section four. So now we run down to number four. What does number four say? Number four says, 18 U.S.C. 241, conspiracy against rights. If two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person, any state, territory, commonwealth, or district, and actually it's uh, any inhabitant, I have to change that, possession or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution of the United States, or because 
of his having so exercised the same. Or, if two or more persons go in disguise on the highway or on the premises of another, with intent to prevent or hinder his free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege so secured, dot, 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 they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. And if death results from the acts committed in violation of this section, or if such acts include kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill, they shall be fined under this title or imprisoned for any term of years or for life or both, or may be sentenced to death. What? Sounds serious. That's some serious stuff, isn't it, my friend? (laughs) So now we go back up and continue reading, knowing that they're not reading any of this stuff, but it's here on this document, and I'm sure that the appeals court is reading it. Okay, so I, let me repeat number eight so you see the power of what I just wrote. Respondent has no knowledge of engaging in any activity of, trans, quote, transporting a property or passenger for compensation on the highway, end quote, as defined under 46.2, before or during the day of the traffic stop, which arrested her, quote, free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured by the constitutional laws of the United States, end quote. So I'm now actually having her testify in state that what she was engaged in was the free exercise or enjoyment of a right or privilege secured by the constitutional laws of the United States, and that there's no evidence that she was engaged in any activity subject to 46.2. Number nine, respondent has no knowledge of last name first, TL, or any, quote, person making use of her car in the engagement of, quote, transporting of passengers or property for compensation on the highway, end quote as defined and regulated by 46.2, before or during the day of the traffic stop arrest. Number 10. So now what we're doing is we're now separating the real um, LT, upper and lowercase, versus the TL, which is the all-caps name, which is actually the charging instrument, is under that the court is now using in its court documents to bring in action to get her, the real woman, to pay on behalf of the entity which is an all-uppercase entity, which actually doesn't even exist. So we're now breaking it down slowly. Respondent has no knowledge of any or any person. So we now use TL. So even if there is such a person that does really exist, and even if it is her person, she has no knowledge of that person engaging in any activity subject to 46.2 or any other person. Number 10. The record is vacant any evidence that an activity regulated by 46.2 was engaged in by respondent or any person and to be known by the charging officer prior to or during the traffic stop arrest by Officer Crone. I've laid it out there, pretty good evidence. Number 11. So now I'm going to the record. There is no record. Number 11. There was no inquiry or attempt made by Officer Crony to validate that an activity of transportation as defined under 46.2 was engaged in by respondent or any person which would subject such activity to being regulated by 46.2. Number 12, the record is absent the necessary prerequisite determination that an activity subject to 46.2 was engaged in prior to the creating of a charging instrument as a result of an alleged infraction of 46.2. Number 13, 
All activities regulated by 46.2 are clear and unambiguous, and 46.2 can only regulate those activities described therein, namely the transporting of passengers or property for compensation on the highway, end quote. 14. Virginia Motor Vehicle Code 46.2 does not regulate, quote, the use of the public for purposes of vehicular travel, end quote, which is a direct quote of the definition of highway and roadway. Let me repeat that. Motor Vehicle Code 46.2 does not regulate, quote, the use of the public for purposes of vehicular travel, end quote. Next quote, where a right secured by the Constitution are involved, there can be no rulemaking or legislation which would abrogate them. Miranda versus Arizona, 384 U.S. 437. Number 15, Virginia Motor Vehicle Code 46.2 does not regulate anyone, quote, in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the constitutional laws of the United States, end quote, see number four. Number four, we can go back down to number four, 18 U.S.C. 241. I've already read that to you, Conspiracy of Rights. That was already read. So I'm referring to it again. Number 16, Failure to provide evidence or testimony establishing that an activity of transporting of passengers or property for compensation as stipulated by the Motor Vehicle Code 46.2 constitutes lack of authority to create a charge or liability thereunder. That's just a, pretty much a basic statement. 19, but of course they'd have to rebut this. Any institution of any state or state of, and I put that in quotation, attempting to enforce a counterfeit or void instrument are violations of 18 U.S.C. 471, 472, and 474, and is, quote, cognizable of a court of the United States, end quote, see number five. Well, let's go down here and see what number five is about. Number five says, where are you? Number five says, 18 U.S.C. subsection four, misprism of felony. Whoever, having knowledge of the actual commission of a felony, cognizable by a court of the United States, conceals and does not, as soon as possible, make known the same to some judge or other person in civil or military authority under the United States shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than three years or both. Ouch. And you'll see how I cover us right there in a second here. Which would ever love the United States, number four. Okay, 16. So I'll read that one again so you get the power of it. Number 15. Virginia's Motor Vehicle Code 46.2 does not regulate anyone, quote, in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to by the constitutional laws of the United States. Goes to four. Failure to provide evidence or testimony establishing that an activity of transporting a passenger's property for compensation as stipulated by Motor Vehicle Code 46.2 constitutes lack of authority to create a charge or liability thereunder. Number 19, any institution of any state or state of attempting to enforce a counterfeit or void instrument are violations of 18 U.S.C. subsection 4, um, 471, 472, 474, and 474, and is cognizable of a court of the United States. Number 20, this, quote, motion and the contents herein 
constitutes fulfillment of the requirement of 18 U.S.C. subsection 4 to, quote, make known to some judge or other officer of the United States. See number five. So you see, I'm using this as a notice to some judge or other officer of the United States of the knowledge of what? Crimes that are cognizant according to the United States, federal crime. Let me see where five went to. Five. Okay, so I have that felony misprison right there. Boom. Yeah. So this now, what I've done is I've turned the motion into a notice making known to, because that's all it says. It doesn't say you have to give notice in writing or anything. It says make known to. So the judges are supposed to be reading them. And in fact, at the, at the, at the trial, Luella got stuck like a broken record and asked five separate times that the judge had read this motion. And the judge said, yes, I have, yes, I have. She couldn't believe it, because how can you possibly read this motion and not be up in arms and freaking out? I mean, if I was a judge and I read it, I'd be, holy shit, I don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole, right? Well, I mean, it's too much here, right? It sounds like you've avoided some of the pitfalls. I've, I've heard other people present things, and, they, and I've heard the response back, well, don't bring the Constitution to my courtroom because it doesn't apply. And I've also heard, well, you're just cherry-picking Supreme Court decisions. But you're quoting Virginia Code directly. So I don't think yep. they can say you're cherry picking or it doesn't apply here. If it's if you're reading Virginia Code, uh, I think that puts puts that to rest. Uh, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's the way I'm laying it out. I've actually had two two uh, attorneys. One who just got out of school and graduated with flying colors just looked at this thing and choked. He was like, "Holy shit!" He didn't even read the whole thing. He didn't even read that. He was like, "Oh my god, this is like lockdown airtight." You know that's why I was so disturbed when the when the uh, judge just dismissed it, but then I recognized later she dismissed it without a motion from the other side. So once again, she's engaged in criminal act. And in fact, this is when I was called as an expert witness, and she said, no, you cannot be called as an expert witness unless you wrote the code or you're the copyright holder. And I went, oh, holy crap. And it choked like crazy when she put the ticket itself, which has the 46.2870 uh, written on it that she was charged under. Well, wait a minute. What about, what, about, what about any expert witness? Nobody wrote that code that comes in an ex- expert witness. They have ex- expert witnesses come in there all the time. Very what, good, what, Grasshopper. So what does that tell you? What kind of a, what kind of a ridiculous statement is that? Oh, you can't, what does you that can't tell come in unless you wrote the code. Come what on. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? It tells you that it is, in fact, private code that is privately own and she has full knowledge of it so she has full knowledge that she's using the position as a pretender judge to enforce private code that is privately held it's statute that's law code is not law never has uh-huh. been. Yeah. so guess what that just opened what she did she opened things up to show now that we can actually say she had full knowledge that they were enforcing private code knowing full well that it was not law which goes straight back to the part of the setup, which is the counterfeit instruments, which they're getting, uttering and passing, and by coercion and under fictitious uh, uh, entity or name entity, trying to make collection by threat intimidation. So all she did was compound everything about times 10, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sorry to say it, but the, the term stupid bitch comes to mind. You know, she's so smart. She outsmarted herself. She's stupid. And the way they acted in collusion was just so obvious, it's not even funny. So let me finish. I'm almost done here. 
Mm-hmm. So now you see the power of number 20. This motion and the contents herein constitutes fulfillment of the requirement of 18 U.S.C. subsection 4, quote, to make known to some judge or other officer of the United States. Have we not let her know? Have we not made known to her by these writings of the facts? That there's uttering and passing counterfeiters, that there's an imposition of, of, of um, that there never was any jurisdiction, that there was no transporting of uh, anything, that, and so on and so, so forth. All those things are clearly laid out, aren't they? Yeah, pretty clear. And these are all, and those are federal, those are federal charges. They are cognizable toward the, of, of the United States because they're depriving her of a right. Those are all federal. That's the beauty about the code. Under 18 U.S.C. Uh, 241 and 242, those are federal claims. So they are cognizable toward the United States. Boom. So now, this is turned into not only a motion, but, a, but a, basically making known. See, it doesn't have to be in the form of a notice or any specific way. It just says make known to some judge. So that any judge reading this has been made known. So when she asked her, have you read it? It was extremely important that she asked her that. And when the judge said, yes, 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 what does that mean? She admits that she has been made known of something. So if she lied and hasn't read it, which we're certain that she didn't, and then that's on her, isn't it? Yeah. Number 21. And I'm not sure why I put this in. I thought about it a second. I don't think I should have, but eh. Any institution such as a court or business entity of the state which engages in court proceedings, notice how I phrase that? Let me repeat that. Any institution such as a court or business entity of the state which engages in court proceedings is fully liable for damages by processing counterfeit or void instruments for payment upon one of the people via what is known as, quote, color of law action, in violation of 18 U.S.C. 242, which we've already read, and 22. All participants are by law subject to charges under 18 U.S.C. 241, being liable for all injuries, threats, intimidations, or oppressions engaged in to procure payment thereof. Wherefore, wherefore, for the reasons set forth herein, the record being absent any evidence to the contrary, and in the interest of justice, respondent requires the charges be dismissed with prejudice stricken and any record thereto expunged as to any charges brought under 46.2 and dismiss the alleged, quote, defendant, all uppercase TL. So I'm at, we're also asking that the, the alleged defendant, the all uppercase entity, be dismissed, right, in the above case caption for the same reason. And then it's the affidavit under penalty of perjury in accordance with the law of the state, uh, uh, LT, uh, that, the foregoing is true and correct, to the best of my knowledge, understanding, and belief, signature of client. Now, I do my own jurat, um, state of, that the county of, personally appeared LT, who proved to me on the basis of satisfactory evidence to be the woman whose given name is, given name is subscribed to within this instrument and acknowledged to me that she executed the same and that her signature on this instrument and the contents therein are made under pain of penalty of perjury to be true and correct to the best of her knowledge, understanding, and belief, as indicated by her hand and seal. That's my own personal one that I yeah. put together. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I have the next part, which is, and I, in here I also have the witness. I, I always do witness now. Witness my hand and seal. And now I do uh, private witness. I make sure that you have two witnesses, going back to my old ways, two men or women who will sign and if there are people who know you, I actually now put a little thing in front of it that says, 
uh, knowing, um, you know, TL for uh, uh, to be a good and honorable woman uh, for more than for two or more years or five or more years, and then they and I witness her attesting to the contents herein. They then sign. So now that so remember this is kind of a one-upsmanship game. If I have an affidavit that's unsigned, uh, that might count for a little bit. If I have an affidavit that's signed, that counts for more than the affidavit that's unsigned. If I have an affidavit that's signed and witnessed, that counts for more, and juratted, that counts for more, and um, by my, to the best of my knowledge, uh, understanding. And belief is different from knowledge and understanding. So that gives even more because only a man or a woman can believe. And also, if it is then notarized, because that means that the it is now um, um, becomes an official document. So that's why I now do it with two singers. Got to go back to the old way. If you have two singers, it's two witnesses. That's all you need. It also goes back to uh, the Constitution that says, by the witness of two or more of the same overt act, or in confession in open court, a man may be charged with treason. Like that's why I keep going back to that. And in the old days, you know, that's the way it was. You always had two witnesses. You didn't need a uh, a notary. A notary just as somebody who acts on behalf of the state to verify something is accepted as true and correct by the state. So that's all they do. And then I always put the part here, which says this doc, the title of document. I have the title of document. Motion respondent moves this court to dismiss the proper charges. Number of pages. I put the number of pages four document, date, and other. So anything you want to put on. This is all important stuff because, and you always number your pages, one you know, one of four, two of four, three of four. That way they can't, I had that happen to me. I didn't number the pages one time, and they got away with stealing one of my signature pages. So that that's why you want to do that. And then, of course, the certificate of mailing, and it lists everything that was there as well. Um, yeah. And then the circuit court, da, da, da. And then, of course, the, the, uh, the, uh, the basis of law. So that was the original motion that went to the um, um, the Court of Appeals, which was the circuit court where the trial was held, the alleged trial. The whole thing was a bullshit trial. I ended up desperately because um, time and so on, I was unable to file uh, a petition, as it turns out, to do a, a an appeal to the higher court, the Supreme Court in Richmond, Virginia, yeah. It's called a petition. Yeah. And don't let names of things mess you up. I, I went to this thing in one state, and it was like somebody said, oh, you couldn't do a writ. All writs had been abolished. I was like, what? You can't abolish writ? It's a common law right. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I was all freaked out, and I was pissed off and angry and upset. And then after I calmed down, I think it was either my mentor or somebody else showed me, said, oh, look, it's right here. It just says that they shall be formed in the form of a motion. Oh. <laughs> So in other words, a writ is still alive. All the elements and everything you put in there, it's just the title. You call it a motion instead of a writ. Okay? No big deal. And I filed a motion, which was the same exact thing as a writ, and it got a writ mandamus, and it was uh, it actually uh, it, it actually flew. So it, it just proved that don't let names worry you too much. Sometimes, as I always say, does it really matter? Um, sometimes it most definitely does, and other times it doesn't because they don't know the difference anyway. If you can prove your case, it doesn't matter whether you're the petitioner, the plaintiff, the pleader, the, the defendant, it doesn't matter. If you've got the elements necessary to make your case, you're going to win. So that's why I said in here at the beginning, I'm actually testing it out. 
as a citizen of the United States, because I want to see somebody go, oh, well, she doesn't have any rights because she's a United States citizen. I want to see that in writing. I've yet to see it. So that's a test. Um, So now what I did is because of time and I didn't do the petition, blah, 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 and I didn't do my homework like a bad boy, I wanted to get something on the record. So I simply filed the same damn motion again, but I changed it. I altered it just a little bit. And this is what it reads now. Uh, motion petition, a petitioner appellate moves this court to extinguish improper charges, release LT woman from all liability and dismiss alleged defendant TL, all uppercase. Uh, again, I believe the opening is the same thing. Yeah, yeah, same thing as same opening one. Comes now LT woman, one of the people claiming all rights, privileges, immunities, and protections thereof, waiving none. Requiring, now here I did not do citizen. I did it there, but I didn't do it here. Requiring the assistance of this honorable court to protect her interests, rights, and immunities in accordance with the laws of this state, its constitution, the Constitution of the United States, regarding this matter. LT woman, here and after referred to as appellant, moves this court to extinguish improper charges, release appellant from all liability, and dismiss alleged defendant, uppercase TL, due to the following facts after David and Evans is set forth herein. So it's the same. Everything is the same. And when was this filed? What, what, how long ago was this filed? This was filed on the very last day that we had to file something in the appeals court. The very last day. It filed a sort of mail. I mean, what, what date? I mean, how long ago? Like a month ago or two uh, months ago? Uh, or? Okay, hold on a second. Let me get that envelope. I'm just wondering how, how long ago this was. Oh, it's only been... I just got the letter the other day. So it so was very, very recently. Just Yeah, dude, right in the like middle a, of Like a week, a week ago or something. It's actually been longer than that, surprisingly enough. What I did is I filed... Um, this along with a motion for an extension of 30 days, okay? So you're s- still waiting on a decision, well, correct? This is what I'm going to share with you, this letter here in a second, but I do want to yeah. share, before I do that, I want to share yeah. what I added on here, which I did not even know until now that I added. Yeah. In my wherefore statement, remember it was fairly short, this one's very long. Uh-huh. So I'm going to read to you the wherefore. Wherefore, for the reasons set forth herein, the record being absent any evidence to the contrary, and in the interest of justice, appellant requires the charge be dismissed with prejudice. Okay, well, that's the same. Further, it is the wish of the appellant be justly compensated from the harm caused by intrusions without cause from original arrest, sham of, quote, hearing, threat, intimidation, false reporting, and injuries received at the hands of the, quote, district court of Fairfax County, and sham of a trial, falsification of facts, failure to provide discovery, false reporting, falsification of records, collusion to deprive the appellant of rights, privileges, immunities, protections of the law, due process, assistance, counsel of her choice, assistance of counsel of her choice, improper instructions to the alleged jury, deprivations of needed information, in parentheses, careful limited selection of passages of the code, most beneficial to to cause the jury to not see that which is lacking, in parentheses, failure to inform the jury that code is not enacted law, and misrepresentation of facts, among many, to the alleged jury at the hands of the prosecutor, in quotations, prosecutor, in quotations, judge, and in quotations, clerk of the court, at, and I said at, quotation, all uppercase, the circuit court of Fairfax County, end quote. That L, the first name, proper name, woman, 
be justly compensated for her suffering and cost, both emotional and monetary expenses, in time, study, worry, anticipation, confusion of how the law says one thing and the actions of the, quote, officials exerting the opposite, parking, travel, submission to unwarranted searches and seizures, each time entering the courthouse, courthouse under threat, uh, threatened arrest, paper, equipment, no, I didn't say arrest, threat, paper, equipment, necessary to research, write, print, and mail, hand deliver, etc. To cause her to regain confidence in this state judicial and trust that this court and the officers thereof will perform their duty by investigating the evidence expressed in the, quote, questions before this superior court, end quote, and the unrebutted facts presented in this motion and the similar motion to dismiss recorded January 14, 2016 at 12.30 p.m. X out. And then I have here X out and restamped January 22, 2016 at 11.09 with the word circuit X out in red. In parentheses, what is that about? Is that altering the record and for what purpose? So I had no idea what it was about. They actually crossed out the original receding, which was January 14, and then they restamped it January 22, which is just really bizarre. Mm. And then I put in parentheses. Remember, this is in parentheses what I'm putting in here. So it's just in parentheses. If men were machines and kept an actual record of every infraction, injury, deprivation, impropriety, violation, misdemeanor, of all those holding positions of trust, the list is seemingly endless. However, men are naturally forgiving and forgetful with the desire to live in the present and future without encumbrances of the past injuries. However, as a matter of law, the, quote, record, quote, ledger, must be balanced, and as such, we the people created a government which hires people to act as persons in the capacity and trust with limited powers to secure our rights, privileges, and immunities, and to, quote, effect their safety and happiness, end quote. Uh-huh. Thus, we leave it up to those duty-bound by position and oath of office and obligated by receiving of payment for, for specific services to perform in accordance with prescribed laws ever mindful of the, quote, principles upon which it is founded, quote, that to secure these rights, governments are, are instituted, end quote, end parentheses. That was all in parentheses. Yeah. Failure to do so constitutes liability and evidences a policy, in quotes, of the, quote, state of Virginia Commonwealth, end quote, in contravention of the protections of the people, quote, in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right or privilege secured to him by the Constitution laws of the United States, or because of his having so exercised the same, end quote, in parentheses USC 241, and, quote, whoever under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom willfully subjects any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, or possession, or district to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunity secured or protected by the Constitution, laws of the United States, dot, 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 end quote, end parentheses. And then after that is end notes. Now, let me read to you the letter that I got. I remember I filed that. as a motion to dismiss, because I didn't have the petition fully put together yet with all the evidence that I needed and so on. Uh-huh. And I also filed a, um, what's it called, a um, extension of time for 30 days. Let me read to you the letter that we just received the other day. Yeah. From the Circuit Court of Fairfax County, on July 14th, okay, this is actually in the Court of Appeals. Um uh, it's from the Court of Appeals, uh, and it's referencing from the Circuit Court of um, uh, Appellee and Appellate, so on and so forth, Commonwealth of Virginia. On July 14, 2016, 
Appellant filed a motion requesting that the court grant her a 30-day extension of time to file the petition for appeal in this case. On that date, Appellant also filed a pleading entitled motion. The petition for appeal in this case was due July 11, 2016. Pursuant to Rule 5A-12A, the court is empowered to grant up to 30-day extension of time to file a petition for appeal from the original due date. 30 days from the original due date of this Filing of the petition expires on August 10, 2016. To date, appellant has not filed any subsequent pleading in this case. My bad again. On consideration whereof, and a further review of the record in this regard, including the clerk's July 27, 2016 letter indicating that the court, quote, would take no action on the July 14, 2016 motion, we got a letter from that where the court said they're not going to take any motion because the motion concerned elements of the appeal. The court deems the appellant's July 14, 2016 motion, which was mailed by certified mail on July 11, 2016, as the petition for appeal to be considered in this case. Accordingly, this action renders moot a ruling on the motion for extension of time. The time to file the brief in opposition shall commence from the date of this order. Ow! Let me read that last part again. Uh, um, the court deems the appellant's July 14th motion, which was mailed, certified mail, which means that they took it as being mailed certified on the 11th, therefore counted, even though they didn't receive it until the 14th, yeah. as the petition for appeal to be considered in this case. And guess what? The time to file the brief in opposition shall commence from the date of this order. So now they have to file an opposition. Yeah. How cool is that? Well, so this just... just, just it, so this just means it's, they're taking it into consideration, correct? It means that all of the elements here is considered to be the petition. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm in the midst, obviously, of writing an amended petition in which uh -huh. I'm going to give more or I might do a, an addendum. I have to learn a little bit more about Virginia law, but I can do an addendum. Since I needed to just, in fact, I just looked at I've been so busy, I just looked up that I did, in fact, put all the accusations in there of all the things that they did do. So what I need to do is write an addendum um, even though these are claims against them, um, I need to actually do an addendum probably, which I actually could probably do after they respond to it and deny it. Then I'm going to do discovery um, and require, you know, the re record, which they don't have. There is no uh, audible record. We were uh, allowed to record with our phones, which we may have to get transcribed and so on. Um, but the evidence is there. We have to do our affidavits and so on that, that these things took place. Um, other than that, the record is pretty obvious. So there's substantial there. Even if I don't get the addendum or the added stuff or an amended one, I have enough in here um, that they have to address. Okay, so they, they've uh, recognized it and they're taking it into consideration yep. and uh, ready to move on to the next step. Exactly. Now the next uh -huh. step is that the other side has to uh, do a brief in opposition. They have to do an opposition to the brief. So that means that they have to address each and every one of these. Yeah, and there's a lot to address, isn't there? <laughs> no shit. 
<laughs> and particularly since uh, she was able to get him to testify to at least five or six of these. The number one, um, which was a pretty obvious one, that he did arrest her, her vehicular travel. Uh, he did in, it, 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 he did uh, proceed to interrogate her without giving her Miranda warning. Um, he had no. She asked him on the stand if he had any uh, um, any uh, uh, reason for him to believe that an activity regulated under forty six point two was engaged in. He said no, that she was engaged in, in transporting. We didn't ask under forty six point two. We said. Uh, transporting a passenger or property for compensation over the highway. Um, doo-doo-doo, did not mean it. What was the other one? Activity, no, he did not have any reason to believe ahead of time, during, or since. And yes, he did, and this was a huge one, yes, he did exchange her release for her signature on the charging instrument. And I believe in court she called it a security instrument. I meant to call it a security instrument. But I called it a charging instrument for, the, for their sake. Either way, they still used it and actually said the number. And then we have in evidence a copy of that charging instrument, which they then used in the court to try and get her to pay uh, a certain amount of money. The other thing Sorry, that's you fast- questions? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We often hear ignorance of the law is no excuse, but with the Miranda request... Seems like ignorance of rights is an excuse. How, how do you uh, what's your take on that? Well, um, the ignorance of the law thing is for those that are age, uh, officers and agents and, and people. I mean, excuse me, persons. Persons cannot have ignorance of the law because they are of the law. How can you be ignorant of the thing that created you? So that's that's everyone misconstrues that they say ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, what are you talking about? The only law that we live by, do you, are you ignorant of the fact that you, you should not trespass upon anybody else's rights? No, I don't think so. So you're not ignorant of that I, law. I, I get that. What I was trying to say is, why do they have to read you Miranda rights? It's like ignorance yeah. of a right? or well, what's, 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 why is that? Again, it's not common law. This is, again, statute where the people got, people got together and said, you know what? There's too much abuse here. People are opening their mouth because they don't know that, that anything they say can and will be used against them in a court of law in a criminal case. So they so they got together and said, you know what, we're going to require our servants before that they interrogate somebody, they must Mirandize and they must tell them, hey, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you may, anything you say may be used against you in a court law in a criminal case. Do you understand these rights as they've been stated to you? So when they try to assert some kind of statutory jurisdiction over you and bring you into their realm, if you will, that's when they have to tell you your rights and their worth. Say that again. It's almost like two different worlds, like they're saying, okay, we believe you're part of our world, so we're going to bring, under our statutes or our codes, we're going to grant you these rights because we think you're in our in our jurisdiction. They're almost for, coercing you into their jurisdiction and granting you those rights if you operate in well, their you, jurisdiction. You could, you could look at it that way. I'd look at it that it's another one of those protections that the people have afforded themselves and, and their brothers and sisters that are completely ignorant of anything um, to try at least to try and alert them, hey, uh, you know, as a lot of people say in common law, shut your mouth, don't say anything. I don't, I, I don't know why you would not want to say anything. The only thing it's saying is that anything you say can and may be used against you in a court of law in a criminal case. But for me to sit there and go, uh, excuse me, who are you? What's your name? What are you doing? Where's your badge? Do you know this law? Me asking them a bunch of questions, 
I'm opening my mouth. I'm going to be talking my ass off, and I'm going to be quoting law, statute, law, code, everything I can. But is there any of that that they can use against me in the court of law in a criminal case? No, because I haven't confessed to anything. I've never confessed that I'm subject to it. In fact, I'm going to sit there and ask, well, what evidence do you have that I'm a person as defined under the statute of code? Oh, you don't even know what the definition of person is. Well, how the hell are you out here enforcing something you don't know the law? So well, that's what I'm going to be doing. Can I ask a question? Yes, yes. I'd like to know, basically, um, if the police come, right, and they they have a, I understand they have an open obligation to the Constitution and to the United States to do their job. But my thing is this. When the police come and you say they have the right to remain silence, which is called the Miranda right, how does that law apply to us? How does that law apply to people on the street? I mean, well, right. so people are from the U.S. Let me answer this. It's not a Miranda. It's not a right. It's called a Miranda warning. It's one of those things that they must do. It's just something that they must do. It's kind of like a safety check. Like if you ever worked at a factory, you know, there's these safety arms that come down so that you don't bung up the machine. So if that safety arm is not lifted, you know, then you can't then you can't do it. It's they can't like for instance, think of the parking lot. Before you go into the parking lot, you have to take a ticket. Okay, so you know the exact you have something in writing as to what time you came into the parking lot. It's for your protection. So if you want to argue, go, hey, wait a minute, I got it right here. I can look at my watch and see that the ticket's correct, and you're charging me for four hours. I was only here for two hours. Here's the evidence. So all these things that people want to turn around and say are negative are actually uh, intended to be protections for us, okay? It's not a right. There's no such thing as a Miranda right. It's a Miranda warning. It's a warning. But warning. The, corporate structure, the corporate structure is not benefiting our rights right now, though. You know. Oh, but that's because really... of corruption. It doesn't mean that it wasn't intended. Um, you know, it wasn't intended to be a certain way. The problem is, is that the people have refused to study, read, and enforce the laws that we have created upon our servants. Therefore, the servants have been slowly mistrained and misusing and misapplying, and the people have consented so much so that it's become a money-making process. This was contrived by people way up there, but the people, the general people in office, the general people don't know what's going on. They have no clue whatsoever. They've been trained. That's why you don't want to go after them in their personal capacity. You want to go after them in their public capacity as an agent for um, for the McDonald's that they're working for. Hey, one of your employees just stepped on my shoe or mopped my, you know, I just bought these brand-new shoes with $187 and just mopped it with that acetone, you know? What the hell's going on in here? I'm not suing yeah, him. I'm suing McDonald's. Go ahead. On the arrest, does the definition of arrest change, or is it defined from person to activity or scenarios? What is the true definition of arrest? Has it been in state? Well, if you were listening uh, earlier, then, I do a footnote, and it says that when your freedom of movement or freedom to stay where you are as you choose is substantially limited either by force or threat of force. You are arrested. Listen to what the term arrested. People don't know what it means. I was on an aircraft carrier, and we had four cables that went across the deck, and these big, huge aircraft would come in with a hook, and they would grab the cable, and they had a pistol. It would stop the 
the forward movement of that of that airplane. Guess what that's called? Arresting gear. It's arresting the forward movement of the airplane. It's stopping it. That's what it means to arrest. So why? If you want to talk, if you want to talk, hold on one second. If you want to talk, like for instance, uh, women who do their hair, they know that if they're bleaching their hair, they're using chemical in their hair. You have to use the other bottle, which is called arrest. You're arresting or stopping the acid or whatever it is, the staining or whatever it is that you're using on your hair so that you don't burn your scalp or burn your hair out. So you use the arresting agent. See, people I don't know what your, the definitions are. I agree with your uh, defin- definitions or uh, scenarios. I'm just wondering what what would it be? Like is it in a charter or is it in some kind of code or criminal? What, what makes a, you know, what we call officers think that uh, they can even what you call arrest, turn the lights on or whatever, and even question another party. What 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 would what would the what would be going on there? Because of their training, that's all. What they learn from T V growing up, what they learn in school growing up, do as you're told, and he who has a uniform is to be believed and, and obeyed. So you have that conditioning first of all throughout their whole lives. Then they decide they want to be one of the ones telling people what to do. So what do they do? They join the force. Some, a lot of them join because they want to serve and protect. Okay? I mean, I, I, I told the story before, but I had a guy that came up on me really hard, uh, a police officer. He came up on me really hard, and I said, hold it, stand down, or at ease or something to that. I used a military term. And he stopped. He was getting ready to you know, just go all over me. And within about 30 seconds, or probably about 45 to 50 seconds, I literally had the man in tears. This is an officer in uniform. And I literally had him in physical tears. Where he was saying, I might as well be in a clown outfit. And I said, yes, actually. I said, actually, you're, you're, you're an impersonator. I said, that's, that's, you know, 10 years in jail. And he got ashamed of himself right at that moment because he was, he was convicted and he, and he realized. He said, I did not join to do this. He says, and I just got you giving, and a lady just walked by, spirit moved, a lady walked up this hill, this is in Baltimore, this 70-year-old lady, and he gave her a $35 ticket. She didn't have enough money, obviously, to have a bicycle, a cart, or anything, and he's taking $35 from her for some stupid It would have been fun if he would have yelled out. It would have been fun if he had yelled out. You recommend an officer? What? And you could... I said it would have been interesting if he would have yelled out like a butthole, you know, are you my commanding officer? And you could have been like, no, are you mine? And that would have shut him down, too. Wow, you're really hard to understand. Are you the bad zone? Is, am I the only one having a hard time understanding? Is it possible to shut him down with asking questions? I like to know I do it all the time. Because if, are they able to proceed without you understanding is my question. Oh, well, you know, it all depends upon the cop. It all depends upon how you, how you, um, I, you know. I know that standing there saying "I don't understand" doesn't work. They'll, they'll put you in handcuffs and, and drag you away, and then they'll have a psych evaluation on you. So they always have their ways around it. What I find is to be intelligent. I don't want to be dumb. I don't want to be stupid, and I don't want to be ignorant. Okay. I want to be smart. I want to be intelligent, and I want to be an administrator. I want to make sure that my servants are doing what they're supposed to do. I've had businesses before. And I, if my employees did not do what they were supposed to do, they get fired. It's that simple. I don't see then it's To me, it's cut and dry. And if you don't know the laws that you're supposed to abide to, you're already impersonating an officer. That's a crime, as well as the fact that you're fired. And I want all the money back that you received while you were while you're impersonating an officer because that's embezzlement. And actually, by the way, there are court cases that show that where they, the man that went into that 
um, 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 store to get something for his personal life, they backcharged him for those hours that he used for that time period. A whole a whole hour they charged him, even though he was only in there for 15 or 20 minutes. They charged him a whole hour or a whole afternoon. So they backcharged him because you cannot receive funds. There's whole sorts of sections on that. I've read it before. I don't know it off the top of my mind. But there is a whole statutes and sections about an officer cannot uh, use um, that time that he's getting paid for for any other purposes. Well, that's the thing. When they charge people, right, how how are they able to charge a person? But they're not charging people. Let's be precise. They're charging a person. When they're charging a person, right, Right. whatever, whatever according to definition of law that is, when they're charging a person, right, and they're they're saying that these laws apply to you. How 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 so? Because if, if a person is from, let's say, a different country, or in a different territory other than the United States, then how does the charges apply to that person? Is my question. Because they say when when they charge you, they say that the charges apply to you, right? That these charges must um. Let me share with you what I recently read an article on. Is that there is a section now in the law which allegedly the Supreme Court supposedly, I haven't read the whole thing, supposedly upheld, was that the officers can lie to you. And if anyone's ever had any experience with most officers, they will lie to you. They're trained to lie to you. And the reason that they're saying is because they're trying to deal with criminals, they criminals, real criminals, that they that they can do whatever it takes to get information in order to do their duty. All of that is unconstitutional and bullshit, but this is the premise that they're, that they're under, okay? Look, just as the same way that you've been lied to to believe that you're a person, the same way that you have been led to believe that, that, uh, that you're, you're a subject of the state or, or, or have to do what the government says, or does, all these lies that you've been told, they've been told lies on the same way. That's why I don't blame them so much. That judge I'm going to blame because she sat right there and said, not unless you wrote it or that you're the copyright holder. She has full knowledge of what she's doing now, doesn't she? She now convicted herself. Just like the judge when I asked her, have you read the deed of trust and the elements therein? The provisions, I said, the provisions therein. You know what her answer was? I see nothing wrong with the paperwork. That is my answer. With that last part, that is my answer shows that she avoided the question, which means she had full knowledge she was avoiding the question, which means she did not read it, which means she's imposing something she does has no knowledge of. Once you understand how this all works, it's so easy to trap them. They trap themselves. Just give them enough rope and they hang themselves. Keep a good, accurate record of it. I'll tell you a quick story, Colin, say maybe you can capitalize on it. Go ahead. Earlier, you mentioned something about <clears throat> giving out orders and telling the cops to stand down or whatever. Case hey, Roddy, your uh, microphone, there's something wrong with your microphone. It just sounds like you're either really too close or you're some kind of a whoa, 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 whoa something wrong. Does anyone else agree? Well, I, I like to ask a question. I like to know basically. Can you change if if I say I, if I say if I was in a different country, a domicile? Right, in a different territory than the United States, are they still able to charge me with the same charges? Well, being able to and lawfully uh, able to are two different things. 
If somebody asked me on the last show, well, can you hit me? I, well, yeah, of course I can. Can a guy write you a ticket? Well, of course you can. Otherwise, you know, he did it. He wrote you a ticket. He charged you with it, right, under this piece of paper. Is it lawful? That's the question, and that's what the courts and that's what due process is all about. You have to establish the foundation. So once you understand the elements that are necessary, like we like they always say, who brings a claim against me? Okay, it's the same thing. Well, who here has a claim against me? Who have I harmed? Who have I injured? Who have I damaged? You know, if there is nobody there, then you don't have the first element. You don't have anyone who's making an accusation. Well, that's the first element. Audio check. There's no. Go ahead. I didn't mean to tell you. I just wanted to get an audio check. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, your audio is so bad I can't understand you. How's it now? Might try calling. Try hanging up. Try call, calling back in. So, so to answer your question, what you're confusing is what you what you what a lot of us get mixed up in. It takes a long time to get your head wrapped around this. The problem that you're having that most of us have is that we have been led to believe that they're good and honorable people. And to a large extent, some of them are, but they're mistrained. You have to understand that these are, first of all, these are people that have been trained improperly. And if you've ever loaned any of your tools out to somebody and they come back all broken, you're like, what the hell did you do to my tools? And you realize they don't know how to use them. So that's, that's bad training. So you have to get your head out of the gutter, I guess, in the sense of believing that they know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. They're only doing what they told to do so they can go to work for eight hours, just like everyone else goes to work and does the least amount necessary to keep their job for tomorrow. Unfortunately, this is the way of Americans. So I call them Americans, so they can't get a job without, you know, they can't do any work without a job. These uh, people are no different than most other Americans. They go out here, they want a nine-to-five job, they want to get paid, and they want to go home. They don't want to mess with you. And it's all about revenues. They are told that it's about revenues. Go out there and write tickets. Go out and write tickets. Otherwise, why are there cops all the time near the end of the of, of the month? I got my hand up. Prima facie evidence that they're out there collecting revenues. All right. How's the audio? A lot better. better. Trying... Maybe my voice is breaking up, and I didn't know it. Well, there you go. Go ahead and tell your story, but I want to come back to this other question that the gentleman had. Oh, okay. Go ahead and you tell your story. You talk about giving orders. When it comes to the topic of, you know, everybody talks about cops giving orders and lawful orders and you must obey. It appears in many instances that only applies to their subordinates. Like if you're part of a police academy or you're subject to their jurisdiction, then you must follow the orders, lawful orders. But I was mm-hmm. reading in the statutes where it clearly says for the municipalities, yeah. the only lawful order ever referenced for the local municipalities was for direct and traffic, period. That was it. Well, there you go. Just so you know, Perfect. unless there's a criminal, I mean, some people might, well, in the criminal code is this, and, well, I don't I don't give a crap. Uh, if it's not a criminal charge, they're only lawful order. you got to be a subordinate or a traffic situation. Right, and that's what developed out of it. That exact thing is where I developed the three questions, which are so powerful. If anyone ever uses them, nobody uses them. I use them all the time. They work. Are you a public servant? Yes. Do you have any evidence that I am a public servant? Uh, no. Do you have any evidence that I am a servant of any kind? No. Good. Then I'm still a master. And as you have just stated, you are a servant of the public. Conduct yourself accordingly. Are we clear? 
And I do that military tone, too, and I get right in their face. Are we clear? So, and that, st- that stops them dead. In fact, usually just the, the first two work. Are you a public servant? Yes. Do you have any evidence that I'm a public servant? No. Immediately, their whole attitude changes. Now, I converted it into three other questions, which actually helps to change their lives. And it goes like this. Isn't it true that you're obligated and duty-bound to obey any lawful orders? See, now I'm talking about them. They're obligated and duty-bound to obey any lawful orders. And they go, oh, yes. Well, isn't it also true that you're obligated and duty-bound to disobey any unlawful order? Um, or, uh, um, or yes. Good. How then are you to know whether you are obeying a lawful order or engaged in a crime if you do not know what the law says as it is written? Now, that's super powerful. And, of course, then I go, because I've memorized 18 U.S.C. 241, and then go and inform them of 18 U.S.C. Uh, 241. I said, for, and then I asked, I said, for instance, did you know that the law says if two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any inhabitant in any state, territory, or commonwealth in the free exercise or the enjoyment of any right or privilege secured them by the Constitution and laws of the United States shall be fined or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. Did you know that? And they go, no. I said, so if you don't know what the law says, and you might be doing what your supervisor tells you to do, which actually might be engaging in a crime and deprive you of a right or the enjoyment of it, such as freely traveling, and I happen to be educated in law, and I sue you for it, don't you think you're going to lose your job over it? And you might end up going up to 10 years in jail. Doesn't that sound like the law? And you won't be Or I said, do you think that your supervisor is going to come into federal court? I said, because you're not going to be around your cronies. You're not going to be in a state court. I'm taking you to federal court. Well, you don't have any cronyism. Do you think your supervisor is going to get on the stand and go, oh, don't put him in jail, put me in jail, because I'm the one who told him to do that unlawful order? And they go, no. I said, but did you also know that you can have him arrested if he continues to give you an unlawful order? Now, they like that. There's the carrot. So give him the stick and then the carrot. All of a sudden, you turn the tables on them. Now they're awake. Two weeks later, they come up, they go, hey, where did you, where, where's that law at? Where, where can I find that out? It changes their attitude. They start becoming aware that they better know what the law says. And then well, sometimes I, they go into the Nuremberg or something. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask a question? So I like to know basically what law states that the the government has to protect the public or has to has has to uh, basically yeah what law says that the government has to protect the public? Well, actually, um, the rights of the people are secured by the United States. It's an obligation of the United States. It's right there in the Constitution. Neither okay. slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist in the United States or territory subject to its jurisdiction. So there's one. But, 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 but slavery is basically a bondage. Slavery means to bond, to bond somebody, and the Constitution is a contract, which means to bond. Right, and they're the ones that are bound by it. That's so what everyone's not, not trying to get away from the thing that binds them. The people, so the people are not bound by it. No, the government is. no. There's nowhere in there where it says that. There's not one place in the Constitution that prohibits the people from doing anything. Nothing. Everything is about their rights. Everything is about their protections. Everything is is binding upon. Uh, in fact, people don't know this, but all judges are bound by the Constitution. 
so slavery was abolished, but the Constitution was uh, created, or or the criteria of of it was created. Then, is is it safe to say that basically the the Constitution is basically a mental chain of slavery? Because you got to think, if someone has their oath of obligations to the Constitution, to basically, um to basically uphold the Constitution mm-hmm. or the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Then when when you look at the when you look at the government As I said before, not only do they have a duty, not only did, listen to what I said. Is it not true that you are obligated? What does the obligation have to do? The obligation is the fiduciary obligation. They have a fiduciary duty. Do you know what a fiduciary duty is? Fiduciary means you have agreed, consented, willingly to be paid to perform a particular service or function. So that is will you have will that is not involuntary servitude. That is voluntary servitude. You have voluntarily chosen to step off of your supreme uh, uh, supreme stance as a king, queen, whatever, and become governed by the constitutional laws of states and so on and so forth because you hold a position of public trust. See, that's why when you go to the Unanimous Declaration of Independence, it says uh, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, listen to the next part, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Well, who's the governed? It can't be the people. Government is not created to govern the people. Government is created to govern the government. That's why it's called meant to be governed, government. Okay? Yeah, it's so a compound word. Just like a just like a corporate charter, you're not subject to McDonald's corporate charter. You're not subject to Hewlett Packard's corporate charter, but all the employees of Hewlett Packard are. Right. So there's no involuntary servitude. They're getting paid. That's why I'm saying that they are that they're obligated by payment of a contract and duty bound because they also swore an oath. So they have two. They have duty bound as well as they're obligated by contract. You see the difference? You do not have to volunteer to work for anybody. And you can choose who you want to work for. I choose not to work for anyone that I have to fill out identifications and give Social Security numbers and and do all this other stuff. I won't do it. I just dropped uh, probably a $10,000 job, which I could have done in in probably about a month and a half. But I walked away. I said, no, because I'm not giving you my private information. But see, how much are you willing to do that? Wait a minute. I, I like to say this though: if the government has no law that has the law that basically says that they have to protect the public, right, or protect the citizens of the United States, or the citizens that that stand in the United States, then the, therefore the citizens or the public doesn't exist. Because if you look at it, if you look at it right, kind of. If you look at it. How does how does if they I'll just say it simple and plain once again. If you're telling me that the public the the government has no law that states that they must protect the the, the people or the persons in, in in the the persons that's in the public, right? Then I didn't say that. No, I didn't say there is no law. In fact, I said the opposite. I said the Constitution binds them to do it. 
there are things that that, that they don't. Um, it, it may. I don't but know. Where, where does it say in the Constitution? Does it bind them to protect the people? Well, if you read it, you'll find all throughout there the right of the the right of the people to be secure. That's a right that is secured by the Constitution. That's what it means. They didn't give you any rights. What they gave you was the protection of rights. The right of the people to be secure. The right of the people or the right of the government? Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist. Therefore, if it exists, they have to do something about it. They're obligated to do something about it so it doesn't exist. It's just like if I sat there and told you that no no spills shall shall exist on the floor of McDonald's. So, and I hand you a mop. What is your job? Your job is every time there's a spill, you go mop it up. This is not hard to understand. They have a duty. They're duty-bound and obligated to secure the rights. What is the Unanimous Declaration of Independence? And, and that's not the, t- the right title. It's actually called the Unanimous Declaration of But that doesn't apply to slaves. That doesn't apply. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't apply to certain people. Like the Declaration of Independence is not for, for all people. It's, it's basically not for slaves. It's not for black people. Are you following me? So well, the thing about the Unanimous Declaration of Independence is it didn't specify, and I believe it was divinely, you know, even before, because you, you know probably as much as I do that a lot of the people who were involved in all that were actually slave owners and so on. Um, right. But when we go read what it actually says, it was the creation of a trust, okay? Mm-hmm. And every form of government that's derived from it falls underneath that trust. That doesn't necessarily mean, like, for instance, for instance, so there's a can lot. I ask, can I ask what in law, what is trust? A trust. It basically creates, um, oh, my God, it creates like an entity. It all depends on what kind of trust it is, a million different types of trust. Think The easiest way to think of a trust is uh, as a will. When you die, you have a will, and you want somebody who's going to be the trustee, if you will, of your trust, who's going to fulfill your the, your request as you want them to, so that Sally gets four hundred forty-four dollars and thirty-nine cents plus this diamond ring, and this and and the four hundred twenty-two pictures uh, of of this vacation, and 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 Jennifer gets you know the car, and you know so you lay it all out, or you might have one money set aside because you had investments. Uh, on those investments that they continue to be managed by a management group that is going to continue to make that make money, and the money, the proceeds that comes off of those investments are going to go to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren to provide for an education, a car, and perhaps if there's enough money for them, to, uh, the first ten or hundred or $200,000 towards their business. So you create, well, you create when another I trust. See, a what, trust. I, what I see, what I see in, uh, in the Black Law Dictionary, 6th edition, it says the right, Trust is the right to enforceably solely in equity to the beneficial the beneficial um, enjoyment of a property to which another person holds the legal title. A property interest held by one person, which is the trustee, at the re- request of another, which is the settler. And it goes on to say for the benefit of a third party, which is the beneficiary, for a trust right. to be valid. You can be the grant, okay, and people argue this. What You can be a grantor and the beneficiary, can't you? Yeah, you can. 
You can also be the beneficiary and the trustee if you wanted to, couldn't you? Well, I guess you can, but my, my thing is... You can also that... be the grantor. Now, when is the one time that you can't be the beneficiary, the trustee, and the grantor, except when is the exception? You say you can't? Generally speaking, you cannot be the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary. When can you be the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary? I guess when you become a third party. No, you're, you know, you're, again, you're going to be the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary. When can you be all three of those? Do you know? No. Can you tell me? When there is more than one trustee, when there is more than one grantor, when there is more than one beneficiary. And that's what the forefathers, in my mind, what they did that was so brilliant. They put those words on paper, whether they existed or not. It's just like anything else, you know. Uh, if you've ever done any healing, a person is sick or you're sick, you feel bad, but you're going to profess your own healing. You're not well yet, but by professing it, you're going to make it happen. You're going to make it come into existence. I believe that's what happened with the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. It said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They did not change it. They did not alter it. They did not say, well, except for black people, except for slaves. No. It's written exactly. That's why I believe it was divinely written, whether they wanted it to or not. That's what came so out. When they did that, though, when they did that, they put things in all, they put things in, uh, I wouldn't say all capital letters, but they put things into a, um, a into another entity perspective. Whereas though, whereas though, basically another corp, they build the corp. Whereas though people build corporations from it, and now people are working in the name of corporations and in the name of uh, letters put together as words, basically. But my thing is this: if people are working in the name of those things, and the na- and the things doesn't exist itself. For example, if if people are working in the name of Verizon, right? You have so many people that works and say, "I work for a Verizon company." But there's no Verizon person itself. I can't. I cannot call Verizon physically, and be like, I want to speak to the physical person that owns Verizon or the physical person that their name is Verizon. It's no such thing. It's a corporation. It's a group of people that came together to basically work in the name of that company, and the company itself shouldn't exist. Verizon doesn't exist as a physical person. So therefore, people are being mentally, uh, how we say, tricked into thinking they're working for a, 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 for a person or a physical person that doesn't exist. You follow me? I totally follow you, and I see where the hang-up is. And we had this, I don't know if you must have come on later. We actually went to a whole bunch of this earlier. You might want to listen to it because we had the discussion of how important it is to understand the difference between people and person. People have persons. They are not persons, and they can never be persons, okay? Now, in law, they try to call us natural persons, but even that's not true either because it is still a natural man who is acting in the persona. Person comes from the word word persona. Persona comes from the word mask or to create something that one that is that you are not. You are masking yourself. For instance, you might be an uncle, and you might act like an uncle, but then you are, uh, you know, a, a retired military buddy. 
Now, you don't act the same way as uncle around little kids that you do around your buddies drinking and cussing every second word like you used to when you're in the military. So you have two completely different personas. And then when you're sitting there acting like an idiot and cussing and screaming and having fun with your buddies, and all of a sudden your mother calls your name, all of a sudden another persona just automatically, without you even thinking about it, just jumps up, doesn't it? And yes, mom, okay, that's another persona, okay? That's another person. And each one of those people knows different persons of you. Now, all of those persons are private persons. They're yours, and you have the right to be secure in them. Now, you may also have what's called a public person, and that's where you created a legal entity in order to do things that you could not do on your own. These are necessities. You can no way that you can gather millions of dollars together from a whole bunch of people or a whole bunch of people come together under one thing. You could do it in the old days. Perhaps a church would do it. You know, they were doing that. But in the modern day, they came up, well, we need to create these corporations. Industrial Revolution changed all this because you needed to have a corporation. A corporation is, as you just said, it's a bunch of people coming together, which is their right to do, and creating a contract amongst each other and a perpetual contract so that even when they die and leave, another man or woman will come in and take that place. But it's laid out as to that person continues to live, that persona continues to live so that those hundreds of people or thousands of people that are employed don't get fired the moment that you, the man, happens to die, which is how it used to be. And they would divide his estate. That's where you get into the Sesta KV Trust Act and all that stuff because whenever, and that's where family names came in. That's where all the first business names came in because it was family to family to family. I've been working for this family for five generations. And when, that's why the Sesta KV Trust, that they required to send out a search party to find your body or you alive in another country at least three times before they can divide and presume that you're dead and divide it up. And if you happen to be one of the slaves or servant that has worked um, on the property of the master, uh, then the court can actually deem that you're entitled to so many acres and, and, and so forth. So even slaves had certain rights that people, that people never mentioned. There were certain rights that even slaves had to a degree. And there was a lot more benefits for slaves in this country than there ever was in Africa, and still that's true to this day. Okay, so there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. Not that I favor slavery at all. Absolutely not. It's absolutely abhorrent. But the beauty is that as far back as that year, these men put into place something that was completely unthought of. It was not even in the thinking. It was not in the mindset. These people grew up with slaves. They grew up with, with you know, it's like growing up, uh, you know, when you have birds in your house versus dogs in your house versus you have a, a wife or whether you have a, a concubine. I mean, you go back in history, you say, well, you know, some of the men, you know, I'm watching this thing, uh, uh, Marco Polo. And it was considered practically normal for any of the heads of household to have many concubines and perhaps more than one wife. Today, that's not the way. In West Virginia, you might find that incest is best. You know, you go to Dutch, you go to Holland, apparently incest is actually um, considered to be a policy. But that doesn't make it right. And these yeah, men... When you look at the government, when you look at the government and their educational system and their relationships to the military industrial complex, they're strategically constructed um, people to be patronized 
and for people to be patriots. Absolutely no argument there, and this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a corruption. You've got to understand this is a corruption. But if people don't know the laws, and they don't know how, and they haven't been enforcing the laws, they've been believing, you know, they created World War II, okay, just like they did almost every other war. If you go back, you can go back and find out where Rothschild, which, uh, which actually is not his name. I forget his actual real name. Um, he uh, helped to finance the French Revolution, and he um, um, paid only a limited amount of money to, um, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Napoleon, and they never expected Napoleon's men to fight for free when the money ran out. And that's why they were so scared. And that's why it came down to Waterloo. And what, uh, what Rothschild did, and that comes from Red Banner, that's where the name actually comes from because he, put a, he had a red banner out front. And what he did is he had a horseman that was faster than the rest and could see that, uh, uh, that uh, he was going to lose the battle, in fact, and came back and Rothschild was very clever. He started selling all of his interests in France on the public market. And everybody said, oh, well, Rothschild knows what's going on. So everybody started selling it. So that the, 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 the stocks and everything that had to do with France, if France was dead because uh, uh, Napoleon had won the war, the People's War, France in all of its bourgeoisie and bullshit was dead, so they were selling everything they could as rapidly as they could. Meanwhile, he had people who were buying it up for pennies on the top. One of the greatest coups, if you want to call it, financial coups of its time, insider trading. And, of course, he lost, and, and, but what ended up happening is the Rothschilds ended up owning half of France as a result of that move. Well, they've been doing it ever since. It worked so well. Why would you not do it again? So they create World War One. World War One. Now, every, every nation that was involved in World War I is now indebted to the banksters. Then they create World War Two. same thing. They were fi- financing both sides. There's all sorts of evidence that they were financing both sides. They don't – let me explain something about, about these people – they don't care about the color of your skin. They don't care what, who or what or where you were born. They do not care if you got two legs, four legs, or anything else. They don't care. It's one of the biggest things that bothers me is people have got to get their head out of their ass. These people do not give a shit where you're born, how you're born, what your name is, what color you're, anything. They don't care. They only care about one thing. Can they fleece you? And how much can they fleece you? Can they brainwash you? And how can they fleece you and brainwash you? Isn't it much easier to get people to give you their money because they believe they have to than it is to try and force it from them every time and create war? No. So what do they do? They create war so the people that will fight, the people that will volunteer, the people that will stand up for what is right, you send them off to war to be killed so you get rid of those people. How brilliant is that? Who are the people that volunteer for? We wasn't course? designed to create any we wasn't designed to create other people's dreams. So I feel you on that. My thing is that they, they create the uh uh they create basically a debt from out the sky and basically tell people they have to secure with interest. And my thing is this if we look at the corporation stocks, the corporation stocks are backed by people's names. And by by people who we who claim to be a person, so my thing is this: is it is it is it okay to claim to to claim hold of the corporation stocks? Is it okay to look at the government and say, 
that basically is is a corporation designed for my benefit, or can we look at the corporation and say basically it's corrupted now and that Bingo. it's not designed for my benefit? Bingo. You got it. Exactly. In fact, if you really look at it precisely, the system we have in place is the best system we could ever ask for. We have a fiat money system that any time you sign something, the treasury has to put that in, it, it, it takes your signature, accepts it because you're a creditor. It's by the good faith and credit of the people that all things are functioning. And they take your signature, and they then, uh, through, the, through the Federal Reserve, they then create and print money to put it into circulation. People don't know this, but this is what's really going on. I've done eight years of studies, and I've actually seen the electronic funds uh, transfer sheet, which shows it goes on these, on these mortgages. It goes into the bank, general deposit, the bank then sends it to the treasury. The treasury then approves your request. Essentially, what it is is one of the creditors you're requesting for some of your funds, which nearest count eight years ago was six point two billion dollars, um, and and you want you want whatever it is one hundred thirty five thousand dollars to be uh, put into circulation. That's how that's what's really going on. But the problem is is that the trustees are hiding it from us. So they create mortgages and they create all this other stuff. Um, to disguise it and make us and, and make us believe that we're borrowing money from them when they don't have any money to loan in the first place and it's unlawful for them to loan it. That's your criminal activity. So what we have to do is learn the law so that we can go after those that are engaged in criminal activity that's so widespread right now that you can't even turn right, left, and center without seeing criminal activity. And the biggest problem of all is they've got everybody convinced that this is the way it's supposed to be. So that you look like a crackpot when you start saying, oh, no, I'm the creditor. They're like, what? It takes time to explain it to them. But when you go look at it, it says, oh, by the good faith and credit of the people. So where is the United States Corporation getting this credit from? Getting it from the people. So the national debt is the debt of what? It's the debt of the corporation United States. It's not the people's debt. It's actually the credit that the banks, that the United States owes the people. But people don't want to believe that way because they've been brainwashed to believe that they're debtors, sinners, sinners, debtors, right? What almost all the religions tell you, you're a sinner. It's one of the first things I asked questions growing up. I was like, how the hell can somebody say the creator created this little tiny baby that's pooping in its diapers, right? Doesn't know diddly from doddly, and you're calling it sin. What is that about? I knew something was wrong right there. So whatever language or whatever name that they want to label that they want to put you on, look, look, at exam, look at the property taxes. First thing they do, ask anybody, are you a taxpayer? I don't care who they are. Somebody except for perhaps Carl Lentz and maybe a few other people that are, you know, might be awake, and I can probably name them on one or two hands. But 99.9% .9 of the people, even the people out here that call themselves all into the common law and ask them, are you a taxpayer, off the cuff? And they're going to go, you Because what they hear in their mind is, are, do you pay your taxes? That's not what I asked. I asked, are you a title? Are you a taxpayer? Taxpayer is defined. But what they heard in their mind is, oh, do you pay taxes? Because they automatically take the defense. Oh, yeah, I'm a taxpayer because they don't want to be thrown in jail because of all these images. Oh, if, I'm not, if I don't pay my taxes, then I'll, I'll be thrown in jail. That's what's in their mind. This is how you condition and brainwash people. But that's not the question I asked. I asked them, are you a taxpayer as defined? That's what I said. Are you a person as defined in the tax code? Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're a limited liability company? No. You're a trust? You're a, you're a trust? No. You're a fiduciary? No. You're a limited liability company? No, I did that. Partnership? No. You're a corporation? No. You're a municipal subdivision of state? No. Well, have you ever heard of a private party? Yeah. 
well, if your name's not on the list, why do you keep crashing it? They go, huh? I said, I just told you what the definition of, uh, under the tax code, at least in Oklahoma, that's what it is. Those things, those elements, nothing else. So if you're not any of those things, then how the frick could you possibly be a person? And if you're not a person, you can't be a person who's responsible for paying taxes. You can't be a person who's liable for taxes. You can't be a person, da 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 which is the definition of taxpayer. You see, one thing goes to the other, goes to the next, goes to the next. Without the foundation, they skip all that. They don't. They just go straight to taxpayer. You don't know because you won't read it. Your your parents didn't teach you because you're too busy. I remember after World War One, after World War Two, rather, uh, that there was. I was reading this article and they said the problem was World War Two was so profound because what it did, it was the war to end all wars. And what happened was that the people, after they fought the war, they were done fighting, and now they wanted to get back to their lives, and they let everything. They let their guard down. And then the government just continue maintaining an army. It's unlawful, it's unconstitutional to maintain an army. And yet we have it. How have they, how have they done that? By maintaining an army in every other land except for this one. So technically there's not an army being maintained in the United States of America, but we're maintaining armies all over the damn world. There's no provision for that. Go look at your constitution. There's no provision for Congress to fund a war for more than two years. So what you have is a perfectly good system as it turns out, once you learn it, it does work. It's a bit difficult, but you've got to know how to do it. You have to learn how to back them into a corner now and force them to do their job instead of them willingly do it because they've been brainwashed too, and it's been corrupted. But the beauty is once you learn the law, you can see exactly where they're violating this statute, that statute, this statute, that statute. I don't ever need to use common law because I've got 15 statutes that I can go after them with. And after I beat them up with 15 statutes and I get those bricks in place, now I'm going to make a common law claim. And let's say, guess what? I've already won these cases here. The statute violate, 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 violate. The law says they can't do it. They did it. The law says they can't do it. They did it. The law says they can't do it. Guess what? I was injured. So I have all that there showing by, by the laws, the statutes, codes, and laws that they're subject to. They violated all those. Oh, and I'm just here as a man now to make a claim. To me, it's, it's a wonderful tool. Because you can stand on it word for word. It's unambiguous. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. There's no ambiguity there. That's what they're bound by. That to secure these rights governments are instituted among men. Period. No other reason. Hey, Hey, Colin. Yeah. I don't know the name of that caller there. I've uh, seen his word also on... Mm-hmm. Some of the YouTube uh, comments of uh, Jeffrey Doziak. I'd like to get his uh, information, if you would, hook us up. I'd like to talk to him privately. Well, go ahead and exchange information. I don't know his uh, name on here. Uh, do you have it? No. Uh, would you give it, sir? The yeah. gentleman that's just speaking? He's Hello. gone. He left. Yeah, what do you go by? He left? Yeah, apparently so. Sometimes that happens. People's lines drop out or something. He's ex West Oklahoma? No, that's you. That's you. All right. Well, I don't even know where he was. I wasn't paying attention to the board. I usually don't. Although I will. Remember, I will shut the board down if people start getting nasty. I'm going to read a little bit of what's on here. Uh, This is cute. Uh, Come on, Colin, we need an army. What if aliens attack? <laughs> That's cute. 
when Mars attacks, right, exactly. Shadow government sometimes doesn't operate in love, you think. They operate in probabilities, possibilities, and the third. And that includes having and owning armies. Yep, not to war against our people, but possible alien extraterrestrial attack. Uh, yeah, you're right. I dropped the ball. Um, but um, uh, I think it's pretty, you know, it's pretty clear that that when you when you start reading, and this is this is the beauty about it, is and try, you know, for me, I'm trying to be practical here and say. All right, they're not listening to common law. They're not listening to reasoning. They're not listening to what's right and what's wrong. They don't seem to give two craps about that. How can I affect them? And I found, as I say, that you know, the one in Oklahoma was the one my saving grace was that it was a suspended corporation, and I could stand, and I had to stand on it. I had to let everything else go and stand on that one thing that it's a suspended corporation. You can see if you read that case law, which I've now shared with you guys, if you read it, you can see where the other side kept arguing and saying, oh, no, it comes under 12, 12, what was it, 1244C or whatever it was. And that's what they argued, and and the Supreme Court said, no, that does not apply in this case because it was suspended. It's under 1212C. So you see, that was a divert. You guys don't see two years of fighting back and forth just to get there. That's what you don't see. But now, knowing what I know, it wouldn't take me that long. I know how to lay it out. I know how to set it up. As I read, that's kind of why I read this motion. It's going to be real interesting to see how this motion plays out, which they're actually considering to be the um, the uh, what's it, petition. So they're looking at it as a petition. They're going to address each one of those issues, one, two, three, four. These are facts. So I laid it out the same way as I always do, fact. So they have to argue the facts, and they have to show otherwise. That's going to be real hard to do, considering that we even have a record of the officer admitting to at least five or six of those facts at the beginning. So, you know, each one of those facts is sufficient enough to have this thing thrown out. Because if there was no jurisdiction, she wasn't engaged in anything subject to 46.2, then we got a real problem here, don't we? doesn't matter if she was doing something wrong or right. They haven't addressed that. You know, let, me, let me share this with you. This will blow your mind. It really gets you, your head wrapped around it. In common law, if I injure you, common law says that you can sue me or do whatever, right? Bring in action, right? Somehow or another, okay? Believe it or not, in statute law, a person can be, or a man or woman can be injured, and there would be no law that would address it. That's what the king's court was about. That's what the real truth of common law was about, which now what they call equity law. Common law in this court is equity law, which goes back to what they called the common law, which was the checkers court, which was called the conscience of the king, that when statutes and codes and rules and regulations was not sufficient to address an injury, they would then go to what they called the king's conscience, which was a roving court which is much like our district courts today, except these are not roving courts, and that's why they are corrupted. But in those days, they, they, checkered, they wore checkered outfits. That's why it was called the checkers court, the checkered court. And they had the king's conscience, and they would look at all aspects, every aspect of it, which is what uh, Julie is going after, the equity of the matter. If, they, if, if you say that I owe you $500, I can admit that I owe you $500, but then I can show the court that you owe me $1,000. The court will say, okay, fine, minus the $500, 
You win your case, he does owe you $500, but you win your case, he owes you $1,000, pay the man $500. And you end up paying me. That's equity court. And there might not be any statute for that anywhere. But on the other side, because there's so many statutes and so many codes that regulate them, and our problem is not with each other, the problem is, and this is the thing right there, that, I mean, you want to talk about prima facie evidence. Why is it that 99% of the cases out there is them against the people? There's a problem with that right there. Why is it that, that, that there's constantly cases? And if, can you imagine if the people started waking up and filing actions against every single time and knowing the statutes? I mean, every time they breach the statute, there's, what, five or ten? We got, what, uh, uh, a kidnapping? We've got arrest, uh, unlawful arrest. We've got uh, unlawful detainment. We've got uh, threat intimidation. We've got extortion. We've got uh, embezzlement of the office. Uh, we've got uttering and passing of counterfeit instruments and the creation of counterfeit instruments. We have a court, which is acting as a court, which is only a business, and it's acting as a debt collector when it's not licensed to be a debt collector. It's doing probably 10 or 15 different deprivations, deprived her of uh, of, of, of counsel, deprived her of assistance, uh, deprived her of uh, equal protections, defied her, def, um, de, de, uh, um, denied her to be heard in a meaningful manner, case law in that term, meaningful manner. You have the right to be heard in a meaningful manner. Um, obviously, uh, then, of course, dismissed the motion without any motion from the other side to do so. No argument, no discussion, no nothing. That's lack of due process right there misrepresentation to the jury, uh, misuse. Of, they accepted everything that the, that the cop said when, when asked by the prostitutor, you know, what did she say? And he says, oh, she said this. But then when I get on the stand, they wouldn't let me say what she said. Well, how does that work? He, he gets to say what she said, and that's not hearsay. But when I say it, it's hearsay. Oh, by the way, if anyone gets in that situation, I have a way around that, which I thought of afterwards like an idiot. All you have to do is say, oh, no, it's not hearsay. And they go, oh, yes, it is. They said, no, I'm telling you what I heard. I don't know what she said, but I can tell you what I heard. Kaboom. And just watch them, like, do that little pinnacle dance. They go, oh, 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 So you're saying that you're asking me if the sky is blue, and I'm going to tell you that I saw the sky was blue. You're going to say that that's hearsay? And well, then everything that you say, I, you know, it's hearsay, right? So I can't even understand the question you're asking. No, they won't even go there. So that's how you get around that. You say, oh, no, I'm not telling you what she said. I'm just telling you what I heard. There's always ways to beat them at their own game. But the point is, look, look at how many crimes are there. Just a one action that they do. If everyone started prosecuting them on every single action because we knew how to do it, uh, there wouldn't be anybody in office anymore, which might not be a bad thing. But nobody's doing it. Very few. And doing it right. And that's the problem with the people. This is, you know, you, you, part of self-governing it means, means picking up after yourself. You know, and if you have kids, you've got to pick up after your kids. If you have dogs, you pick up your dog shit. All right? Call them whatever you want. You call them, you know, public servants, public dogs, whatever you want to call them. They're supposed to be our guard dogs. But you have to manage them. If anyone's ever had a business, and if you've never hired somebody... I suggest go hire somebody. Just get 20 or 40 bucks together. Go down to 7-Eleven or something. Go hire somebody to do some work for you. And see it from the other side. 
see how your attitude will change when you want somebody to do something for you and you're paying for it. Your whole attitude will change. You have to manage them. That's why I very seldom hire people because most of the time it takes, the time it takes me to manage two or three people, I could have done it myself in half the effort. You have to teach them and train them and get it done and do it the right way and to do it with the same uh, precision that I want it done in. We have to manage we have to manage these people and let them know that hey if if I'm not subject to your because i'm not I'm not a person, I'm a man, and you're supposed to protect me. but see there again, it's the same thing with the mosquitoes. you got to protect yourself from the mosquitoes when you go out there, so you can't just say to the mosquitoes, "Hey, I'm not a mosquito, you can't bite me they They listen about as much as the officers listen. But when you bring some bug spray out there and you fire that thing up, yeah, all of a sudden they get the message, don't they? And that's all I'm, that's all I'm saying to me. This is common, this common sense. This is common law. Use Common law to me is use whatever is available to you. And if they're subject to statutes and codes, then use statutes and codes to enforce the statutes and codes on them. To me, that's so simple. It's not even, and guess what? You don't risk going to jail for anything. Hey, I'm just 18 UFC subsection 4, misprison of felony. He says, i got to tell you, i got to make known to you that these are criminal acts that are going on that I have knowledge of. And you have an obligation to do something about it. If I'm making known to you some judge or other officer of the United States, which tells you what? Judges are officers of the United States or other officers of the United States. If we started doing that, start giving tickets, we would, we, we, things would change drastically, yes. Hi. Hi. Who that? Um, Cheyenne. Hi, Cheyenne. I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, we have to go after them. But on one of your um, cases, you end up going to the administrative office, and you won. Is that correct? What are you talking about? I don't know what you end up putting into the administrative office. What administrator office? I remember one of your call. Uh, actually, it was on Skype. You end up putting some paperwork into the administrative office. You have to be. You have to tell me more about it. I mean, I handle lots of cases. I, you know. I. I. Sorry. I don't. I. I would. I would imagine it was one of your cases. Um, well, who are you anyhow, calling the administrator? Who are you calling the administrator? It was the administrator of the, of the courthouse, I guess. Uh, that might have been someone else, but I mean, I, whenever I file something, I file it with a court clerk, and I give I give the court clerk an order what to do with the paperwork, which is called a precipice. Precipice. Precipice, however you spell it. It's a different spelling than precipice, but anyway, it's precipice. Is that how you, is that how you pronounce it? Here. And what that's, right, and that's to tell the clerk, who is my public servant, what I want done with this paperwork. Okay, and suppose they don't do that. Well, then they're in violation of their duties, aren't they? Correct. Okay, so I know I now go look so, up in that particular court. I go look up what their obligation is to do, and I first thing, of course, I'm going to file a complaint. You know, 
and and then ask a question probably what I'll do is and if I have to I'll bring charges against them. Like I say, I've already implicated the clerk in this case here. If you heard it, I implicated the clerk because the clerk was the one that stepped up and we're going to have that in the affidavit when I came up to the table with Luella to help her just to simply assist her and also to be a presenter of facts, which is another way around their bullshit, be a presenter of facts. And the court said, no, you can't sit here, you can't do it. Actually, you're like crap, like she was some kind of piece of crap or another. I said, no, you can't, and told her she couldn't even have a purse on the table. Well, who is the court to say that? So the clerk was clearly in it because the clerk is considered a judicial officer. And technically, so is that guard standing there. Anybody in the uniform is con- who's there is considered a judicial officer. And as a judicial officer, they have an obligation to make sure that pe- people's rights are protected. They see anyone's rights not protected. And there is a case where where a sheriff did, in fact, have to arrest the judge because he heard the judge threaten, threaten somebody standing in front of him, and he arrested him. Can't do that. <laughs> But see, the, most of these deputy sheriffs believe that they're the servants of the court, servants of that judge. They don't know that they're there to serve the people, that they're to make sure that judge doesn't step out of line and to arrest him if he does. They don't know okay. that. Why? Because the people don't educate them. Because the people don't <laughs> want to be educated. They think that everybody's going to do what they're supposed to do, and they're always supposed to do their job the way they're supposed to be done. Right. Hire somebody and t- tell them what to do. Come back 15 minutes later. I guarantee they're not doing it the way you want it done. You have to manage, 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 and then you have to almost beat them into doing it. Suppose you end up giving um, the judge an order to sign, and yeah. he refuses to. Well, then that's that's why you do a, a writ of a writ of mandamus. You go to the higher court and you say, hey cause this judge to do his duty. The duty says he's supposed to sign it. We got exactly that right now in Tony's case. We have three orders which the court has created and they refuse to sign it. So we're bringing it, we're, we're doing it, but see the thing is, I'm not doing that case. I'm trying to get him to do it and he wants to do it his way. Or not do it because he's busy working. Chasing, you know, he's chasing the dollar. By the time he gets home, he's too tired. And he want, it means a whole other study. It means you have to learn how to do uh, a writ of mandamus or a writ of, would it be a writ of certiorari, a writ of mandamus? God, I've forgotten the name of those things. But basically, yeah, what it's you, a, it's, yeah, it's a writ of something. I, I don't recall what it is. It's a mandamus. It's mandating, but mandated by a higher court. You damn well sign this court order. You're obligated to sign it. Sign it. Get it done. So it has to go to the federal? No, it's not federal. It's state court still. It would. I don't know. If it goes to federal it would be because of deprivation of a right. See, once again, you have to show where you're deprived of a right, and that's where your common law comes in again. Well, most people's cases is uh, lack of due process. Well, almost all of them, yeah. Simulated, simulate, most, 99.9 of them are, are simulated legal process. It's right. not legal process at all. It's not due process. It's simulated. So you got them on that simulated legal process. That's why you need to know 242. Anyone who, under color of law, statute, code, or rule, regulation, deprives anyone of life, um, of the free exercise or enjoyment of any rights secured by the Constitution. So that's what that's for, under color of law. 
which is everything they're doing is under color of law. Which is not all. Well, color of law means that they do it by authority. Color of law means that I wave my badge or somebody waves a badge or they're in a uniform or they're in a robe or they say I'm a judge. It doesn't matter. Anything that creates a scenario where somebody represents themselves as having authority of law. That's a color of law action. doesn't matter what it is. If you're beating your wife and you're saying, I'm a sheriff, damn it, and I can hit you if I want to. Well, that's a color of law action. If it was just, I'm your husband, I can beat you, well, then that's a different thing. That's simple. It's probably the best way I could describe it to you. doesn't sound very civil. It doesn't sound very civil, does it? <laughs> I'm just trying, to, just trying to get the idea. Color of law is anything. If you show a badge, you state that you're somebody in authority, anything to that effect. And you're acting on behalf on under the guise of a law, of an alleged law. That's color of law. Okay. Now, so it can be lawful color of law or unlawful color of law. Okay. So actually, <clears throat> a, a cop cannot entertain civil. He can only entertain criminal. Absolutely, and I've had that happen to me. I've called the cops and they said, well, "We can't do anything about it. this. Is a civil matter." Yep. Yep. Get that all the time, but. Funnily enough, they don't seem to mind interfering in civil matters if there's some money to be made. Right. That's what I tell them when there's a quote-unquote accident. They come here to make a report. I said, no, it's a civil matter. We don't need you. Thank you very much. Nobody's injured. And nobody, nobody's making any criminal charges. So thank you. Have a nice day. And they just kind of look at each other like, what? And you can ask them civilly to make a report. I've done that. If they, they refuse to do anything, I said, well, I'm asking you to make a report. Well, we don't do that. I said, well, you're doing it now because I'm requesting you to do it. And I can request them to do that because they are my civil servant. And I need you to make a report. Even if you find no criminal act here, no nothing, blah, 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 I still need you to make a report. So I can have a report that I can bring into court and utilize. But it's still a civil action. It wouldn't be a criminal action. It'd be a civil action. But if you look at it, almost all criminal actions have turned into civil actions. But, of course, they don't want you to know that. Right. But it's not a real court. It's not a real crime. And there's all of the other stuff that we mentioned, all right. the things that we all know about. That's why we need to know how to go after them. Right. They'll, stop ah. doing, they'll stop doing what they're doing. Look, a bully is going to continue being a bully until, you know, you, know you, you do something to the bully to get them to stop. I agree 100, I agree 1,000%. No. When a bully wants to take your lunch money, why not, why not tape a firecracker to it and light that sucker off as you hand it to him? Blow his freaking yep. hand up. Yep. You know, quit doing that shit. Yep. That's kind of what we're talking about now. You don't need to, again, what works? I'm looking at what works. I'm not going to sit there and be like the Redcoats marching out there in the plain open field. I'm going to be like the real, I'm going to be snipering them. I'm going to be up there and, 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 and I'm going to learn and study how to, how to attack from the woods and then run straight through into the other woods on the other side, down into a gully. When they chase me in that gully, I got a whole line of guys standing there ready to shoot their asses. Well, and here we're talking about a paper war. Yep. Okay, on the uh, chat board, Lawfan wrote uh, read, uh, Precipe. He's questioning about Precipe. Right. And actually that is just um, to hear 
that is just to um, show the uh, uh, the court. Um, how can I explain this? Uh, just basically, just you tell the, you're just telling the clerk what you want done. It's like but you give it form. to the judge. You can do it to the judge, I guess. Still, I've never done one to the judge, but I guess you could. See, that's where I, I. That's where. That's where. No. See that I think I'm just gonna my next one because I I've done a void order and this this one Robert so called judge will not sign my orders. Um, maybe so I, now maybe I'm. I've done it. Hmm. So now I but I've done it to him. So now I'm thinking, should I just do it to the uh, the clerk's office? Well, see, here again, this is where things get mixed up, and I have a hard time because I have to look at all the documents, how a person filed it. Because under the common law court, if you're coming in under your own your own power, under your own court, why would you ask anyone else to sign for you? If you're the, you know, uh, and the order is an order, you make your order and you, you, you sign your own order, I guess. I don't know. I don't understand all that. I prefer to prove my case uh, and cause them to sign, cause them to sign an order, and I have had it happen before where I went to file something and the lady asked me, do you need the court to sign something? And I should have said yes and handed it to her. So there's there's opportunities when you, you know, why not? Why not do it? You know, that's a good idea. I'm going to pick that up. You know, simply do a precipice and require the the um, the clerk to take it to the court and get it, the, the judge and get it signed. Well, I've tried that and the judge will not sign it. Okay. Um, well, if you're in that particular court with that particular judge and that particular uh, uh, clerk, you haven't been successful in the way in which you wrote it. That doesn't mean that it won't fly somewhere else. I hate to say it, but I've seen things not fly with one person who worded it one way and fly completely with another person with the same judge, same scenario, same situation because they worded it slightly different. And that's the study, is how do you word these things so you box them in and cause them to do what you want them to do. And that's the that's where you get into the art. That's the difference between a guy who has a machine gun and just fires and is somewhere in the bushes and a sniper who sees his target, lines it up, catches the wind, and makes sure that he's dead. I prefer to use less ammunition. Less paper, less ink, and less time. That's why this motion that I wrote, I'm so excited because it's going to be used as a petition. And it was just, a re- originally it was just a motion to trap the other court. And now that trap is actually trapping the court because now they have to address everything that's in that in that motion, which now is a petition. They've changed it and turned it into a petition. Works for me. So you see what I'm so to me this is this is simple stuff because you can you can continue so I can perpetuate this. I can keep this alive, I can I can keep going after them and every link along the way. At first it was just the cop and the district court judge. Now it's the cop, the district court judge, the circuit court judge, the prosecutor, the clerk, and now we'll see if we're gonna scoop up some more. See I look at it like a net. How many criminals can I scoop up along the way? But see, I'm trolling for these criminals. I'm looking for them. I want them. That's the reason I'm doing it. Because once I get these criminals out of there, 
we can get some good people in there who will listen. Was it a city cop or a county? What? City cop or like a county sheriff? Who who uh, who did it? Uh, Mr. This Cronin, was a county. county guy. Yeah, this was, it was Fairfax County, but now we're out of the county. We're into um, Richmond, Virginia, the, the the state, which is about a hundred miles south of it. So it's completely oh, out of sheriff. A sheriff? No, it was just a cop, regular old beat cop. Older over on the highway, you know, like 2 o'clock in the freaking morning when there's no traffic. She was in the fast lane doing 72. She'd just come off of 95, which the speed limit there is 65 or 70. Uh, no, I, I don't know anyway, how they got a morning the beltway. Nobody goes below 65, 70 miles an hour anyway, so it's ridiculous. I you don't did, know what they call them like pity cups here. Well, there's a problem with it with, in Virginia because it considers itself a commonwealth. So it, it believes it's, it's above everybody else, but you can bring them back down to earth pretty quickly. Because, like I said, I'm always looking for the 42-1983. Well, when you I'm appeared in court with Luella, what yeah. was the, like, on the well, ticket? Well, I didn't appear in court. court or? I was here with her. Huh? What did it say? Okay, you didn't appear. Did it say, like, municipal court? Or how did, How was the, circuit the ticket stylized? Circuit court. The first one was a district court, which was completely unrecorded, and that's when the judge sits there and, and 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 she and she didn't answer. He entered not guilty, and she did the thing which said, you know, you you take full liability. Not that one. No, I'm saying he did. But then, by the time we got to the appeals court, the prostitutor says that uh, he entered a plea of guilty. Well, you know, like we said, that that's his. Li- then they're liable. But here we here we have another piece of paper when we ask for the evidence. The, te- the testimony, the, all of the evidence that's going to be used against her is since they turned it into a criminal case. The moment it, when it was in district court, it was just a civil matter, pay the ticket. But when she when she appealed it, said no, I want to go, I want to appeal this. Um, then it became a criminal charge, but they didn't record it, so it wasn't a court of record because it doesn't have any jail time. Talk about walking a, a fine line here. So when we required her to send a document, now it's a criminal case, all the criminal rules imply are in place now. And their burden of proof is beyond a reasonable doubt. But they didn't prove anything. And that's the whole beauty about this whole case. The whole thing it just shows it's clear extortion because if nothing was proven. That what she was found guilty of by the jury was that she was found guilty of speeding. Go to 46.2, you won't find the word speeding anywhere in there except for when it refers to a speeding ticket from previous years or some shit like that, and points. But there's absolutely nothing that says um, anything about regulating speeding. Actually, there's nothing in there regulating speed, actually. It just simply says speed limit. Would you find it in the corporate charter? Huh? No, it's in 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 the code itself. The code that you charged under. I wonder if it's in the corporate charter of some sort. Doesn't matter that what she was charged under was the code. So we go to the code, we look up the code, and we see that what does the code regulate? The code regulates what? Well, there's nowhere in there where it regulates speeding. Okay? There's no such thing. Doesn't exist. So how can you find somebody guilty? This is the beauty about statutes. It doesn't exist in statute. It doesn't exist in law, which is what? Falsification of documents, mis, uh, uh, malicious prosecution, 
colored law action, and a, 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 um, what is it, simulated legal process. There is nothing in the statute or in the code that defines speeding, regulates speeding, or says that there's a penalty for speeding, even by a person, even by a motor vehicle. It's not there. So how can the judge then turn to the jury and say, this case is about speeding. You need to find her guilty or not guilty of speeding. She was found guilty of speeding. What was she found guilty of? It's like, you know, finding you guilty of blowing your nose. There's nothing in law that regulates you blowing your nose. I know where it might be. I was mentioning the corporate charter. My uh, company's policy isn't in the code or statute, but if... uh, if the uh, municipality or whatever it is thinks that you're uh, part of their policy, company policy, it might be uh, mm-hmm. hidden in there of some sort. Well, what, do you, what do you think? Then she, then she would have to be charged with that, wouldn't she? And she wasn't charged with it. That's the beauty about stuff that's in writing. Everyone says, oh, common law is not writing. I love what's in writing because if it's not written... Right? That which is not expressly included is expressly excluded. So it's not in writing. She wasn't, yes, she, yeah, she wasn't charged. She, was, she wasn't charged with speeding. No. What was the charge? She was charged with eighty-six point two eight seventy, which actually just simply states something about speed limit. It just said the speed oh. limit shall be. But when you read it. Specifically, as it says, it's just talking about the speed limit. It doesn't talk about the speed of cars, the speed of trucks, or anything. It just said the speed limit. Well, what's the speed limit? The only thing related to a speed limit is the sign. And it says that the speed limit shall be 55 miles an hour. Well, go look at the sign. The sign says speed limit 55. Okay, no problem as far as the statute is concerned. There's nothing in there that specifies the speed of cars or vehicles. And certainly not any one of the public who is open to transport, uh, excuse me, open to travel, somebody traveling. There's nothing in there for anyone traveling. So even if persons uh, uh, driving motor vehicles, transporting uh, passengers or property for compensation over the highway, even though there may be a, a, a way of construing that the speed of their vehicle, right, cannot go over a certain Speed, not speed limit, you see. It doesn't define speed limit. We all assume we know what it means, but in law, you can't assume anything. That's the beauty about it. When you went to the court, and they, yeah. I don't know if they accepted it or whatever the terminology is. This is the well, court. judge in the, in the district court, to... let me give you a little feeling. Let me give you a little feeling. No, the judge in the place. district court tried to catch her when she said, I was not engaged in any business. I was not driving. The judge says, well, were you behind the wheel? And she didn't know what to say. She simply said, I was not doing any business. Now, me, what I would have done is I would have simply said, oh, would you please show me in the, in the code, in the statute, the code, where it defines or regulates anyone behind the wheel? My question is about your case now. You said you got a file. Yes. When you t- took it or whatever you did, how how does the other party get served? Is it done by the court that yeah. takes it through because, your, the because, jurisdiction you grant? Yeah, because it's the city, it's the state itself. He served the clerk, she serves everybody for you. 
So you granted them jurisdiction. I would call that you granted that court jurisdiction to hear the matter, and they they're the ones that serve the other party. Is that right? Yeah. Excellent. Carry on. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So, anyway, um, looks like we're having a fairly calm. Um, hopefully, everyone read, so all of the disruptors and whatnot didn't want to come on tonight. So that's a good thing. Um, anyone want to discuss anything else? Any questions? Um, any good news somebody wants to share? They all took the the, uh, red pill. You took the red pill? No, they did. Huh? Okay. I'll mute her out. (laughs) Yeah, Colin. um, So you would would suggest to go back. uh, I'm just going to recap. if the if the judge did not um sign your order, then I'm thinking of just going to um the um, court of not court of record but um mm. why don't you ask why not pardon ask why not I've done that uh, well what did they tell you? He doesn't need to. Okay, you you understand that. That's great. But why will you not? What's wrong? Why don't you ask it the right way? What's wrong with my order that you re, that you're refusing to sign it? Well, maybe that would be my uh, next order. What do I need to do to make this order, you know, available for you to sign? In fact, you might even ask him. Do I need an order? Do I need you to sign this order for it to be effective? I'd start with that. You might not. That's why what the order is. In Pennsylvania, yeah, you need the uh, judge's order, or you need him to sign it. Is it a restraining order? What kind of order is it? Uh, to um, to lift the uh, foreclosure. To lift the foreclosure. Basically, yes. Yeah. Well, what you want is a restraining order. You want a um, a um, an injunction is what you want. You want to enjoin any of the parties from depriving you of your right to peacefully enjoy your property, right? Right. And you and you want to maintain the status quo. The status quo is that you own the property. You're there, and you would be irreparably harmed if they if they take you off of your property. Um, no, I'm actually plugged in here. Yeah. Uh, I can give you another one. Well, there's one in the bathroom. You got a blue... Hold on one second. I got a charging situation here. Here, I'll plug in the blue one. I'm, I'm plugging in the blue one. What do you mean? He's giving Colin hell. Huh? Oh, you need... You gotta you need, love it. Hold on. You need a hole punched in here. You need this hole to be bigger. Yeah. Well, that's what men are supposed to do, make that hole bigger. 
I thought, what was that? I wasn't talking to you. What are you talking <laughs> I heard that. Yeah, I figured yep. you were. Somebody's awake. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's mm-hmm. okay. You're going to have to whittle the thing down, the stick down, instead of opening the hole. Women are good at that, aren't they? Started out a man, you end up being a, a real uh, less than a man, let's put it that way. So what's the girlfriend's name? Luella. A uh, who? Princess Luella. Tell her I said hi. You said hi or hello? Both. Yeah, I thought you were. Either or. <laughs> Uh, let me get this done. So, uh, like I say, you know, it never hurts to ask questions and and find out, you know, what what, you know, just 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 find out what do I got to do? You know, what needs to be done? Well, I actually, say, I, I can't give you legal advice, and I'm not asking for legal advice. I'm asking for you to apply the law in order to protect me. Are you saying that you're unwilling to protect me and my property? Well, See, now you get them into this question mode again. Right, exactly with the injunction, that would be good for a foreclosure and a tax sale. Absolutely. In fact, the the disc I got, I told people that I paid the $200 for the disc, which has like From uh, 60 cases of federal 42-1983 cases that people wrote and won. From Steve. And I've been studying those. I found one. From uh, Steve. Huh? Hello, from Steve. Yeah, from I call him Rico Man. Um, anyway, so I got that uh, uh, about a, well, almost a week ago now, and I read about eight cases, and I found one that could work really good on the tax thing. It has the injunction, and everything, and it was a case where people were renting their homes, and the county or whatever it was, the municipal subdivision, decided they're going to make some sort of ordinance or another that requires people to have a permit to rent their homes. And part of that thing, they have to get a permit. They have to have uh, subject their homes to what they call unlawful search and seizure. And they have to come in there and do an unlawful search. All right, you're charging. Fix that problem. And so these people standing on their grounds have said, no, we're not doing that. And they really put it together quite nicely. And I really, when you read these cases that are done well, you can really understand what he's talking about when he says it's all about framing the case. You frame it right, you got it. The problem is most people don't know how to frame anything. Most people don't know how to write anything. And that's what the problem is. Exactly. I would agree with that, Colin, 100%. And Steve has mentioned that many, many of times. Yeah. I mean, I look at some of the shit that I put together before, I was a wonder that I succeeded at all. You know? But then there's other stuff I said, wow, that's pretty good stuff. Where did I miss it? Well, where I missed it was that I that I um, that I, I didn't recognize that I had to box them in, you know, and and that's why they always get you on the forty two nineteen eighty threes. I mean, back up, sorry, slow down. That's where they get you with a twelve B six, which is a quote state of failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, because Correct. most people don't state a claim. They go, oh, they can't do this and they can't do that and they can't do the other thing. And they forget to, to state the facts, which was, on such and such a date, officer so-and-so did such and such and so-and-so. 
That was dumb. Mm, I just jammed a razor knife in my thumb. Oh, mm. that hurt. Yeah, a little bit. Mm. Ouch. Taste of blood. Mm. So, you know, we fail to we fail to do what we need to do. Oh. Johnny on the spot with tape. Well, thank you so much, my dear. Just a little piece. Oh my god, you gotta take the whole body up. I don't need not yet. It's just enough right there. What's it? It'll heal. It'll heal. Just yeah, like that. What's a knife on me? Okay. Thank you. I'm still trying to fix this for you. I'll handle it. I got it. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. So. Do you still have that puppy dog? Which one? Oh, years ago. Oh, and Calby? Oh, you know uh, it. They're right here. Oh, what do you say, Calby? Say she wants to say hi. Say hi, Calby. What? What? Say hi. What? 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 Say what? What? Are you? Say hi. Now, what, so what dog is that? Thank you so much. And you thought I talked a lot. And you thought Was I that only back. one? That's two of them. They both wanted to share all, all the things that have been going on this last week with you. Oh, well, tell them thank you. Yep, yep. Like I said, you know, they uh, either they learned from me or something, but they all, once they get going, <laughs> they can do a whole radio show themselves. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. It's a lot of fun when I get them to sing, too. That's really cute. Well, get them to sing. Huh? Have them sing. No, no, I guess this has to do something. We gotta, we gotta, gotta, I gotta wrap this up anyway. All right. Back to, uh, well, yeah. all right, sorry, Ed, how are you? <sighs> so, call on back to, um, the injunction. Yeah. Okay. And what would be? Make sure you have the elements of an injunction. You have to have and show where it's going to be irreparable harm to you and not irreparable harm to them or the public. Those are the main elements people forget about. So you have to show. And, and what you want to do is also what worked for me one time in a case was status quo that they had to, at the very least, until the issues were resolved, they had to, at the very least, keep things status quo, which means as they are, which is you in the house, used in the house, and them not. You can also put in a paragraph that they have, you know, that history has shown that they don't make any use out of the property. It sits there and dilapidates and makes the neighborhood look bad, blah, 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 that really, technically, they're only interested in the money, and that's all they should be interested in the money. And why is it, and the issue must be, address as to why they have not accepted your offer for full payment, due and owing. That's the first thing I do in any one of these cases now. I offer to pay any amount due and owing, and they don't accept it under... Now, they use... I'm not subject to UCC3, but they are. They use UCC3 because the state adopted under UCC3-603, an offer to pay that is refused discharges the debt for the amount 
offered. So I always offer to pay the full amount due and owing. Right. So now when they refuse that, it discharges the debt, doesn't it? Lawfully, but that doesn't mean shit to them. They don't care. But I have, that's another little brownie now. I can use that and say, well, how come they have not accepted my offer to pay? So even though it won't do what you should do, which is in law, it discharges the debt, right, if there was one. But at the very least, I can say, look, I offered here two, three different times to pay any amount due and owing. And it's been refused. What more can I do? Surely they don't want the house. They're not in the business of having houses unless they are not who they appear to be and that they are after the house. They're not after the money because they can't show that anything is due and owing. So they are, in fact, third-party carpetbaggers that um, uh, that are out here, uh, interlope, third-party interloper carpetbaggers that are out here uh, using the disguise color of... Um, what's it called, simulated legal process with with uh, forged and counterfeit instruments, making it appear as though they have title or rights to the house. When in actual fact, anyone knows that a lender doesn't want the house, the lender only wants the money. So the fact that they're after the house clearly means that they're not due and owing the money. But they're trying to steal the house so they can just turn around and sell it and make a few fast bucks. So now you have, well, now have to rebut that, and they can't rebut that. So now you've got something. So that's why the injunction is there. That therefore, the court, it is by law and uh, the duty, what, how is that here? The duty um, and under law, uh, what is it, uh, in the interest of justice, that the status quo remain until these issues are addressed or, or thoroughly answered. And in order to protect the people, because if my rights can be violated, all people's rights can be violated, and that this, these people acting as debt collectors are, in fact, acting on behalf of somebody who is entitled to uh, to collect a debt that does in fact exist, which has not been established in law yet, and right. that's what the part that everybody skips. Everyone skips that. This is the beauty about what people are doing in common law: is they're getting to the root of the problem, which is also called your affirmative defenses. Who brings the claim against me? It's really, you know, I mean, that is the most beautiful thing in the world. Stick with it because really, what that is, it's a it's the foundation of all litigation. If you don't have a claimant, how can the what is I wrote today? I wrote this today. Let me see if I can quote it to you here. Uh, to dismiss. Okay, uh, and and when when you find that, let's go into what is pending. I wrote this. I said, in short, absent a claimant, how can any court award damages without verified accounting? How can any court award an amount due and owing? Without actual real evidence, how can there be a lawful determination? This is the essence of due process of law to which this form of government and all agents thereof are bound by and the United States is obligated to secure. That's my closing statement. Hmm. I don't use the word jurisdiction. I don't use any of those legal terms. Not that I but right here it's just laid out in, in the simple principle. Absent a claimant, how can the court award damages? Who are you going to award damages to? Who's the claimant? Doesn't matter who it is. Same thing. Just I'm doing the same thing. Just I'm just using statutes and codes as well. You know, common law people apparently they just go in and go and okay, who makes it who brings the claim? <laughs> looks at you stupid. Goes, well we don't need a claimant. So well, yeah you do. Oh, you're now you're telling us what we have to have. No, I'm telling you in common law. Well common law doesn't fly here. Well, yes, it does. Now you got the argument about the common law. I'd rather just bypass all that. Well, actually, the law does require you to have a claimant. 
How can you make an adjudication? The court can't make an adjudication and award damages to a, a non-existent party. Where's the party? Where's the claimant? They haven't come in. These people are saying they're acting on behalf of the claimant, but there's no evidence. And in fact, Steve, I mentioned that to him, he goes, well, when it gets there, you know, if it gets there, he doesn't think it will because the way he laid it out. He says they know they can't come up with this document, but if they come back and go blah, blah, he says that's the first thing we're going to do on discovery. First thing, show us that you are, in fact, representing somebody who's entitled to payments. They can't do it. Right. They're not, because they're not representing somebody who's entitled to payments. Now, I do it a different way. I offer to make payment. Kind of, you know, but what do I do? I offer to pay what is due and owing. And everyone knows that legal terms mean you have to show that it's due and owing. And they can't show that because only the, the true obligee could show what's 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 theirs. And they can't show it because that's not them. They can't show the paperwork. They can't have anyone swear. They can't have anyone testify that this, this is, in fact, was was given. It can't. So you see how simple that is. It's the same basic thing, what you're doing in common law, but I don't have to fight about common law whether it exists or not. I end up in jail because of paper terrorism. I'm standing on the law that they're subject to and that they believe in and that they listen to and that they're familiar with. And that's fine with me. I know the common law is there. You know, that's, that's at the essence of everything. But they don't listen to it. They don't care. They don't want to listen. You know, how many times you say, well, they can't hear you because you're a man. What? Okay, well, they only hear your writings. Okay, so I put my stuff in writing. works for me. What law are you enforcing? Well, we're enforcing the code. What code? 46.2. Okay, where in the code does it say about speeding? Where in the code is, is speeding regulated? And where is a 46.2, anywhere in 46.2, have a fine attached to speeding? There isn't any. So how come you're creating out of thin air statute and law that doesn't exist? You're not enforcing statute and law, are you? And the courts cannot create law. It's a maximum law. They cannot create it. It violates the separation of powers. Only the legislature legislates and creates the laws, and the courts are supposed to follow them. That's why I put that down at the bottom of the thing there, that they cannot interpret law. What was it I wrote uh, that's right there? It's a quote out of a case law. Was number, what was that number... Uh, Stones analog with every intent. Let me see. Conspiracy against rights. Not that one. And the warning. Free exercise, da, 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 da. promises another. Where were the intent to fraud? Where were the intent to Oh, holy crap. I did put a whole bunch more I forgot about. Whoa. Let me go to the other one. Busy man today, huh? Wow. I forgot about that. I put a bunch of stuff down there. In the, in the one I filed in this court, I, I filed the... Um, uttering and passing, the definition of uttering and passing account of an instance, holy Toledo. On the first one, I didn't. District, more persons going on. Next time you talk to Steve, can you tell him to slow it down? I talked to him like maybe two weeks ago. Yeah. And he talks way too fast. Well, that's why we record it, so we can listen to it. 
over and over and over again. I listened to it probably four or five times. No, it's on the phone. Well, then I always tell you record. Whenever I, people call me, I tell them, make sure you record. And, and did you also, and this is kind of like private, so don't mention your names, but did you get my last text on the, I believe it had to do with the patent? No, I didn't. Text on the phone, you mean? Yeah. No, I didn't get that at all. Here it, it is. Probably, probably about three, three weeks ago. No, I never got a text from you on my phone. Huh. So what was it about? About a patent? I, whatever you and um, the other guy was talking about, he gave yeah. you some information. I was mentioning that a patent is the quickest way to get your stuff stolen. That what you want to do, what I suggest people do, is just a suggestion. I don't give any advice. I just suggest. What worked for me is you do a disclosure document sealed in a sealed envelope. It's good for two years. It only costs you like ten or twenty dollars. It's cheaper. Okay. <clears throat> I don't. I don't recall what he ended up texting you. But go back. I don't know if he did or not. Yeah, he did. Okay. I don't remember. Whatever you two were talking about, and he ended up following through and texting you on the uh, information you wanted. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is that the last comment. At the end of the show, was very mean and nasty. No one gives you about your adventures. I'm like, okay. Uh, no, this, this had to do with just on the phone. Uh, don't know. Well, let me go on. Uh, number three here. When, inter- quote, when interpreting a statute, the courts have to give full force and effect to every word thereof. End quote. See, boot, F-O-O-T-E versus Commonwealth. And that's a Virginia one. That's why I put that in there. Also, C-73, Amjur 2D 146, quote, the courts should not enlarge statutory definitions so as to include a situation which might be assumed the legislature would have covered by an enlarged enlarged definition of its existence would have been contemplated if its existence had been contemplated. So it's very, very clear what that's saying is they cannot misconstrue, change, alter, or pretend that the legislature might have meant it to mean this. That's what that's saying. They're limited to exactly and precisely what it says. And the same thing with the contract. It's again what I say. Where's the contract? Number one, where's the contract? Number two, where's the provision within that contract? There is no provision in, in, in any deed of trust that I've ever seen for anyone else other than the lender to do a foreclosure. Right. <clears throat> so why isn't these people coming in as trustees, substitute trustees, and doing a foreclosure? No provision for it. End of story. They're not well, even it's only the debt collector that is coming in. But a debt collector can't come in and do a foreclosure, can he? Well, they're, they're doing it every day. But there's no provision for it, is there? No. So if there's no provision in the law, which is the court, which is the 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 contract, the contract is law. Law is contract. Same thing with the trust. The deed of trust is the law that they have. Everyone has to abide by. Article one, section ten. No state shall make any law bridging the obligation of contract. So the fact that they're enforcing law that doesn't exist, even though it's not written, it's called a policy. And as a result of their policy, they're depriving people of their property and their right to contract. 
You see how I just turned that into like three or four different federal lawsuits, deprivation of rights. It deprived you of your right to contract, deprived you of your right to enforce contract, deprived you of your home, deprived you of due process of law. And well, on, they're on doing, exactly. They're doing that with tax, property tax, mortgages. Exactly. They're doing that with everything. Nobody ever argues that. Nobody ever stipulates it properly. Like I said earlier in the show, I'm, I might even, I'm talking to Steve about this now. I don't even think I need to use Steve's stuff. I don't need to argue taxes. I don't need to argue my right to have property. I don't need to. The only thing I need to argue is it's a maximum call that you cannot sell that which you do not own, right? Right. Well, there you go again. How do they have the right to sell anything if they their name, one, their name is not on the title? Bingo. Deed. So Anywhere. how do you have the right to sell it? They don't, but nobody ever argues that. It's a simple argument. It's a maximum of law, and I can dig this all the way to the Supreme Court. I always think, can I take something to the Supreme Court? What are they going to say? Everyone knows it's a maximum of law. You cannot sell that which you do not own. Correct. But they're well, doing I also, it. I happen to know what other people don't know. And what I know from many, many case law is that if it is not recorded, the transfer is not complete. Case oh. law on that. So therefore, by those case laws, I can now show that if it's not on the record, then there is no transfer. Which again goes back to if it's not in writing because the state only lives in the writing world. It's another beauty. You and I can have a verbal contract. That's why you always want to transcribe the audios. So because basically, not all, hold on, hold on, not, hold on, hold on, not on record, they can't, tra- they can't transfer. What? Not on record, they can't transfer. There is no transfer has taken. It's not that they can't. No transfer is complete. There was a case, I'll give you, I don't remember the name of the case was. A guy, a man came to court, he was suing, and he had the last will and testament of a woman who died. He was the alleged caretaker of the woman. And according to him, she signed a deed, of, a deed or whatever, whatever it was, uh, transferred half of the property to him and the other half to the, two, to the two daughters. And the court had an eye open, and they actually expressed that they had an eye open, that something wasn't right there. He said that the reason that it wasn't filed was because he gave it back, he accepted it from her, but then turned around and gave it to her because she was going to go down and file the other ones anyway. And she died before she had a chance to record it. What the court said was, because it never got recorded, it wasn't complete. And everything went to the daughters. So that's case law that I can rely on. And there's several other ones. In law, it's considered there is no transfer has been complete. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't prove it. I can sit there and say, no, I got the papers right here, and I got a witness here, I got an affidavit here, and I got... Here's the exchange, here's the money that I gave her, and here's the receipt, and da-da-da-da-da. And then the court would go, oh, okay, well, clearly you paid for it, and this is what was agreed. Here's the contract. Here's, you know, you got the, the, the testimony of, of, of the real estate agent, whatever it is. You've got all those things. You just never got around to recording it. Okay, I proved my case. The court can make an adjudication. It has enough evidence to make an adjudication in your favor. But we know that they don't have any of that evidence. That's the beauty. They never put a lien on the property. They never filed a lien. They never perfected their lien. Because they couldn't. 
and nothing was ever transferred to the state or the county or anyone else. So who, who are they to sell property that they don't own? It's that simple. I don't need to worry about whether taxes are lawful or unlawful, whether I'm engaged in business, not engaged in business, whatever. I don't need to go into all that, even though I know it. It'll be my backup if I need it, but I don't think I need it. All I need to say is, look, in this particular, the opposing party who was making the request to the court, what did they put on the record? They put in an abstract of title. What did the abstract of title say? It said, I'm the owner of the property. I'm the one who owns the property, not the owner. I'm the one who owns the property. Nobody else. There's no evidence anywhere of any transfer, assignment, no deed of trust, no nothing. No percentage, no business entity, nothing was ever transferred. I never granted any right title interest to anyone else. End of story. So if there was nothing, then what are they selling? Well, that brings me up to another point. Uh, they claim that they are selling and any of these sales, if it's tax sales, mortgage sales, whatever. They're selling well, they a lien. A mortgage, a mortgage sale is different. It's a trustee sale. That is very okay. different. It's similar, okay. It has similar things, but they're still very different. Oh, Colin, hear me out. They're, they're selling a lien. That's all it is, is a lien. How do they have the right to sell your home. They're they already selling the lien. That's right. I've already gone into that, but they don't even... In a mortgage, it's allegedly... Well, actually, in a mortgage, they, they allegedly have the right to sell the property. That's put into the mortgage. That's put into the deed of trust. But who has the rights to that is only the lender. And so you that, have brings me, that brings me up to another point. How can the lender buy the mortgage at a, at a uh, sheriff's sale for a dollar, and they can't even show proof. Well, the court, the is, so hold on, hold on, hold on, on please, please, let me speak. They, they're only buying it for a dollar, but when you ask the sheriff's office to provide you for the check or the records, they don't have any. Well, exactly, and, and, that, and I've actually seen a foreclosure stop because of that. Falsification of documents that they never did even give the ten dollars uh, that they were supposed to give, and not only that, I've even seen somebody argue one time. He, he walked into an auction. He said they, they were bidding, and it got up to whatever it was. I don't know, fifteen, twenty thousand, or forty, fifty thousand dollars. And he stands there at the very end. He goes, "One silver dollar." That Trump I've, I've only seen it going up to a dollar. That the banks end up actually the lawyer. Most but of the see, time, but, but see, why is there no no transfer there? Why is there no transfer there? Exactly. Why? I'm asking you why. What is missing? Well, there's a hell of a lot missing. First of all, they didn't give the ten dollars, right? Well, what, a dollar. What, We're what talking a the, dollar. Go to the other. What is the other half of every time you see a transfer? It always says for what? Ten dollars and what? And other good and valuable consideration. Who gave the consideration? Who gives this woman a way to be wed? There has to be a man who gives consideration. And everyone misses that. It always has to be. Property cannot be transferred without a grantor. Who is the grantor? Who's granting the property? You can give money for it. doesn't mean you have it. Well, actually, it's, it's, it's actually if you go back to law. If you go back to the deed, 
the bank is not even on the deed. There you go back to title. The ones who are suing are definitely not on the deed. That's correct. And a deed of trust only allow only provides for the lender to do a foreclosure. And the trustee can't do it. There's no provision for the trustee to do it. But again, this is a difference. I know what's required. But no one else does, so no one ever fights it this way, so everyone gets run over because they, they believe that they can do what they're doing. That's why I got that judge to admit on the public record that she had not read the deed of trust and the provisions therein. So how the, so right there, what does that mean? Her order is void. I already knew it, but now I've got it on the record. No judge can enforce a law. No judge can enforce a contract that they have not read and do not thoroughly understand. It's impossible. They need so to be shut down, Colin. What? They need to be shut down. Well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Seriously. I'm working on it. Most of these, almost all these went into Remix, and that's the opening right now I recommend to people. First of all, do the rescission and do an offer to pay. Do the rescission after they re- after they refuse your offer to pay. Do your rescission. And then also go after them under, um, look at the uh, Gladsky case. They're recognizing because all of these allegedly were put into trust, into Remix trust, and in the servicing and pooling agreement, Anything that the trustee does that they're not authorized to do is void, not voidable. There you have it. I had uh, Cherry. What was his name? Um, last name was Cherry or first name was Cherry? Oh, gosh, I forget his name. But on my deed or my house, yeah. they couldn't, they could, no one could find my um any of the trust so it was world savings so apparently they end up have they kept it in private and then i also went to um sec 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 and they couldn't even find it they could not find my loan So there you go. Maxima Law. Where's your paperwork? But you that was bottom. years ago. <laughs> but you Pardon? Bottom. Well, yeah, look, you know, things change. You know, you can do uh, new discovery and re-raise it again. You have new discovery. You raise the whole thing and get an injunction. That you have new discovery. Make your record. Why is it new? Why is it you weren't able to see it before? Because deception uh, tends to cover things up and that you weren't necessarily there. You're not an investigator. Da 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 da. But guess what? You discovered. You discovered this new, new, uh, new information, new discovery. And and frame it the right way, and and then you get the injunction because because of this new discovery changes everything. It's a collateral attack. The court never had jurisdiction because the other side never had what they were required to have. Correct. There you go. Things are changing, though. I mean, you know, things. You know, oh. they're. they're, they're they're tightening things up in Maryland, but at the same time, in California, they're loosening up. So I'm going to be using that. I already know you're not going to get anywhere in the in the state court, so I'm going straight to federal court. Exactly. Well, there you go. But I'm making damn sure that I frame it in the federal court so I won't lose because, 
you know what I've said before, when you ruin it for yourself, you ruin it for everybody else, too. Right. Twice as hard, so I want to make sure I do this right. I agree. Fact, so we, fact, we can help everyone else. In fact, I agree. if anyone out there knows, if anyone out there knows, please contact me, truthmonger6 at gmail.com. Please contact me because I'm looking for information of how to get, I'm looking for some kind of law or case law or something about, well, there's two different ways. One is I know because I've read the cases from the district, uh, the, di- the federal district court, which actually happens to be housed here in Maryland. And as a result, they're corrupt. And I can read their case law and I can see how they're completely backing up what's going on in the state. So obviously, I don't want to come to this federal district of this federal district. Now, I know that if I'm from another state, then I could go to another district um, if I choose to because of um, diversity. And I also believe it's possible out of novelty that this is a new case that's never been addressed before. Um, I might be able to do it. But what I want to do is get to New York is where I'm trying to get to. And the reason I'm going to use the Glasky case is because the Glasky case is being used in California now, uh, which says it submits and says because these Remick trusts are licensed and created out of New York, that they have to abide by New York law. And, ooh, that one little sentence that everybody misses, and they're also regulated by the IRS. So in order to play it safe, California has chosen to abide by New York law, which is accepted by the IRS. So I intend to use that to my advantage to get my foot in the door. But it would be helpful if somebody knew of any law, case law, or anything else that allows either one, A, because of lack of confidence or belief or having reason to believe that the district court is just as corrupted and will support whatever the state courts are doing when you're bringing an action against the states, or two, whether you can use, in other words, if I use the Glasky case, go to New York under that, can that district court, federal district court, make an adjudication um, for another district. So those are that's what I need to find out. In other words, I may be able to go and bring a case there, but it may not be um, binding against Maryland because Maryland is actually who I'm bringing, the, the counties who are the courts here is who I'm actually bringing into the federal court. So anyone has any information on that, I'll probably look it up in this book and see if I can find it since it has jurisdiction. So... I, I can help it. you. I can help you on that. I'll I'll email you or Skype or Skype you an email address that you can uh, hook up with with uh, one of my friends. Okay, that would be great. All righty. Well, it's ten thirty nine, ten forty, close enough. I think it's been a pretty good, peaceful show. And before we get the uh, Lurches coming in here wanting to disrupt and mean and nasty. I think I'm going to go ahead and shut her down and yep. call this a good call. Yep, I agree. All thank right, you. everybody. Good night. Uh, see you next time. And thank you for being polite and thank you for your support, everyone. Thank you. Bye bye. What time did you leave my house? Calling sucks.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.